It's another afternoon here. I wish I was back in my studio, but like everyone else in the world, we're doing these things remotely from the boogeyman, from the virus. I'm sure it's real, not real. We don't know anymore. They're driving us crazy. But I have an amazing guest, someone I've been trying to get on the show for a long time, Lilo Brancato Jr., also known as C from Bronxville, also I think by far one of the best scenes, if not honestly one of my favorite scenes ever in The Sopranos. But let's get to that a little bit later. Oh. I have a man who has been up and down in life, has seen the best, has seen the worst. He's still on his feet, he looks phenomenal. And I want to welcome you to the show, my brother. Welcome to Thank the comeback you, brother. team. I appreciate that. Thank you for your kind words. Lilo, uh, first and foremost, uh, once I finally got in touch with you, it wasn't easy, but once I finally got in touch with you, and we talked a little bit. I find out that one of my cousins was your friend. Yeah, Zim, Lil Zim. Yep. AKA Zippy. Did you guys call him Zippy too? Because that's a name that we kind of gave him, the cousins. Really well, you know what? Much. I knew him when I, when I went, because I knew him from when we were in, in, in grade school together on Lockwood Avenue, school five. So back then, because he was in my class, so obviously they're going to use his full name. So they used to call him Lil Zim. But then as we got older and then he started driving and then we called him Zim. Then it was just Zim. In high school, toward the high school. Yeah, that's you why know? a lot of us Albanians, man, we got these weird names that people can't pronounce. That's why we all have like nicknames and shit, you know, like street names. Yeah, yeah I got a lot, of, a lot of Albanian friends. I know, I know exactly what you're talking about, you know? So, brother, we have a lot to talk about. There's a lot of things that have happened in your life. I mean, you made movies with Robert De Niro, uh, James Gandolfini. I mean, that's obviously what everyone knows about you. But I want to get into a little bit the beginning how your life started, how you ended up getting the role. You know, we're, we're going to paraphrase. We're going to paraphrase some of it because people know. So first and foremost, I, I watched the Vlad interview, which you did with DJ Vlad on Vlad TV. I thought it was a phenomenal interview. Thank I mean, you. He really, he really knew his shit too. I mean, the guy, I was like, he works with the FBI. I mean, he went in on you. I mean, he knew everything about your case and your life. And it was, it was really amazing. Um, how, what was your feeling about that interview? You thought it was a good one? <clears throat> I got to say, it was one of my better ones. Um, I really liked it because that was the first time I like came out of my shell and, uh, you know, divulged, you know, it, 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 and revealed some of the facts in the case, the actual facts in the case and the law behind that and the way the law was written and how it pertained to me in that particular, you know, circumstance and situation. And, uh, you know, I mean, for the first, I would say, four to five years since I came home, I've been, you know, nothing but respectful to law enforcement and to everyone that may have been affected by what happened, of course. You know, obviously and, we're going to talk about we're gonna that later. To that. Yeah, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. So let, let's do it like this. Your life starts, your life starts in Sicily, Italy. No. I was Where born were you in born? America. I was born in South America. I was born in Bogota, Colombia. I was adopted by an immigrant family, an immigrant couple. My mom was Calabrese and my dad was an immigrant. He was born in, uh, in Sicily. So to your knowledge, okay, so you were, you, were, you were adopted by Sicilian and Calabrese. Right. Are you Colombian genetically? I mean, from genetics, yes, where are you? Yes, you know? I was, yeah, I, I, I am. Biologically, I am Colombian, but I mean my blood. But I would obviously I'd have never known. I would have yeah, never obviously, known. Obviously, I mean the way I come across is you know more 
of, you know, someone who's Italian and Colombian. I mean, I guess my friend Carlos Rivas looks a little bit like you. You guys actually two resemble each other a little bit. One of my friends yeah. I grew up with. He's he's Colombian from from Bogota. Actually, I think he's from Medellin. Actually, but you you've been? Have you ever been back to Colombia? No, I've never been back. I heard it's amazing. I've never been though. back. Yeah. So uh, so, so, so like genetically, so genetically Colombian, you're adopted by these two amazing people, right? Sicilian and Calabres. Now, now, not to go off on a tangent because I already spoke about this with people that follow my show. There was a large exodus of Albanians in the 1400s that went to Calabria and they went to Yeah, Sicily. of course. I, I, know, I know Albanians that are Calabres. We call the Albanians there, we call them Igeg. That's what they call Igeg. That's the word that we use. E means our, the Igeg, you know? Yeah, you know what's crazy? Because one of our clans, like our biggest... Uh, there's two divisions of Albanians. There's the Geg, the Geg, right, and then there's the Tusk. So the fact that you they're guys the Geg, he knows. Like, no, but that's actually like how we're divided as a nation, which is interesting. There's two of us. One speak the dialect of the Tusk. One speak the dialect of the Geg. I'm considered Geg. Geg, right? That, that's, that's very interesting. So the Albanians we call these Albanians the Arbresh, is oh, what they're okay. called. These Albanians that left after the Ottoman Empire conquered Albania, but because we did such a good job helping Italy, they gave us land in Calabria, and they gave us land in Sicily, and there was a fusion of the cultures. I got into this in other episodes. I don't want to kill a dead horse. Very interesting history, history man. Very fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I believe it. I believe it. So you grow up in Yonkers. Yes. I pretty much call, you know, I call it the Bronx, bro. I mean, I know it's not. It's technically not even in New York City. Well, it's but it like a, it's like a sixth borough. It's like the sixth borough, you know. It's like an extension of New York City, man. It's just, it's right there, you know. Right. You know, you go to Woodlawn Pizza right there, last stop in the Bronx. That pizza's no joke under that. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know exactly what that is. Believe it or not, I remember I was in tenth grade in Roosevelt High School. It was 1992 when John Gotti was convicted, and it was in the newspaper, and he was done. We were under that L. There was a stand right there. I was reading the paper. We cut school, and that's what I remember. I remember seeing Teflon Don or whatever, no longer covered in Teflon. You know, the whole shit was in the thing. Yeah, that, that the whole was thing went down. In, in 1992. And uh, you would then take the, the, the B line bus to Yonkers, right? The, the, the B. The B line or whatever it's called. Those yeah, buses. well, uh, the, 20, the 20 or the 25 takes you all the way up Central Avenue. That's it, because that's what, you know, if you think about it, that's pretty much Central Avenue. Because as you come straight down, right? And then you that's gotta correct. just turn, literally the bus turns the other way and that 20 bus goes straight back up, you know? And we used to, cause we used to cut school from Roosevelt High School. So we used to take the 20 and we used to get off near Roosevelt and Tuckahoe Road and go right back to school. My father would pick me up or whatever. And it was another, another day. Yeah, how was Here's my thing good? though, but so, so if you, if you live in the Yonkers though, but why would they make you go to school in the Bronx? Or is that college? No, I went to Roosevelt. I went to Roosevelt High School in Yonkers, but we used to oh, cut Yonkers. school and take the. We used to cut school and take the bus up and, oh, and okay. over there. And so you know, we were in Woodlawn, and I remember it was that day when I had the newspaper with uh, you know John Gotti. So I mean, how were you as a student, man? I was. A, I was actually a, a good. I was a good student. Yeah, I was. I have second honors. I was okay. always a. Uh, yeah, I was always a 
very good student. That was one thing that I can say. And I guarantee you find any teacher of mine throughout my whole, you know, academic career, they'll tell you, yeah, he was a good student. He was just, you know. You weren't a troublemaker in class and all that shit, right? You, you, I you was, paid attention. I was a trouble. Mm-hmm. No, I was a troublemaker, but I was very serious about learning and I did do well. What do you mean troublemaker? Were you a troublemaker in class, like a class clown? Like I was a class clown. I used to make jokes. And yeah, I was oh, that. Were you, or were you bad? Like, did you fist fight? Other I was both. I mean, I was, listen, I was disruptive was... in class. I was disruptive in class. I used to be a class clown, make everybody laugh. And also, like here and there, like fights and stuff like that. And overall, I was bad. I mean, I got thrown out of St. Anne's in 1987. I was in fifth grade. I got thrown out of Sacred Heart in... 1991, I was just starting, literally in September, they threw me out. They didn't even want me to go back. They gave me another chance and they threw me out September 26th of, of 1991. And that summer later on, 1992, that's when they, you know, the whole thing with the, the Bron- that's when my whole life changed, you know? So, so you did good in school and class, but you behavioral, you were having some issues. Now, a lot of people try to say sometimes when someone gets adopted, it bothers them. You've said that that really didn't impact you. My question to you is, I mean, I know people personally, I've heard stories, they found out they were adopted later on in their life and literally some of these people committed suicide. I mean, it's an emotional thing, bro, sometimes, not knowing like, what the hell, why? My question to you is, did you know you were adopted right from the get-go? Or, I mean, did they keep it from you? Did they not keep it from you? I mean, did your parents Um, tell you? No, they always, I'm sorry, this is a, they always told me, but I didn't know what the word meant. I didn't know what the word meant. So one day, I remember I was bad. And you know, Albanian parents too, and parents, they got no problem giving their, whipping their kids' ass if they need it. You know what I mean? You know how that goes, right? From the old school? Bro, My come friend, on. hangers, phone cords, fucking. Whatever's, whatever's closest to them. Whatever's the closest to them, you get hit with that shit. Yeah, I, I got glass thrown at me, everything. I mean, it's like, you know, they take the fucking, and if they take the belt off, God help you, bro. Nowadays, nowadays, some nowadays you even look at your kid the wrong way on the street. Somebody, you the wrong person sees that, you're going to, you're going going to probably do a two to four for that. You lose your kids. So, all right. So school, okay. So then during this time, any drug use, brother? School? No. Not even weed? Nothing. Not even beers, drinks, nothing. In high school? Yeah. Any, you remember the first time you ever yeah. smoked a joint? Well, yeah, not during school. Yeah, I remember the first night I smoked a joint. I mean, I was dabbling in drinking liquor since I was a kid. Like, New Year's, I would drink. I always liked it. I always liked getting drunk. Uh, but the smoking of the pot, that happened, like, when we did the, the Bronx Tale. The kid who shot Sonny, he drove me home because he was doing his scene. He drove me home, and he, uh, he had a little weed in his car. And, okay, uh, so it was after, I mean, it was after school. It had nothing to do with school. Well, I was only, yeah, because I, I, at that point, I didn't technically drop out then, but I was still only would technically have been in 10th grade. So it was still in the high school years. You know yeah, what I mean? That's it's not right. Like it was, age-wise. Yeah, age-wise. Right, age-wise, right. yes, but not because I wasn't going to school. But, uh, yeah, and I smoked with that guy, Phil Garbarino, the kid who shot Sonny. And the first time, I don't remember, it wasn't, uh, it didn't do anything to me. I, I thought I was high, but I didn't really know. And then I smoked again a few days later on the set. And, uh, and then I saw the difference. I couldn't even, like, talk. You know what I mean? 
Do you think at that age with the whole school thing, do you think it was part? I mean, I had a lot of cousins, brother. They didn't finish school. And, 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 and Yonkers and the Bronx, it was just, it was rough, man. I mean, I don't know how bad your neighborhood was, but a lot of my cousins did not finish, man. So my question to you is, do you think that that played a role? Where you were geographically played a role into why maybe school didn't go all the way through the way you needed it to? I mean, do you think that played a big role, peer pressure? I mean, what do you think? I think just not, you know what? Either way, like if the movie thing didn't happen, I would have went to school. Like I was very serious about it. Like I already had thoughts of going to a good college and that was my mentality. My mentality was I'm not going to work like, you know, an animal like my father, like my whole life. I'm not doing that. I'm just not. My brother wants to do it because he does work construction. What did you pop see? I'm not trying. I respect it very much. I respect that kind of work. But because of, because of that kind of work, I've had a great life. You know, my father gave us a great life because he worked like an animal. You know what I mean? But at the same time, my father died at 70 years old because of how hard he worked. You know what I mean? Those old school guys, they're broken. They can't even walk. So he did construction. He did huh? construction. He did construction. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was amazing. It's not easy, brother. It's nah, not easy. Bro, you imagine these days at 95, 100 degrees, he's out there mm. day after day after day, you know, beating now his you body mentioned, up. You mentioned your he, brother. You mentioned your brother. You have siblings? I got one brother, Vincent. Well, yeah, he's a, and I, yeah, he works construction. He drives, you know, the machines. He's an operating engineer. Is he and older now, or younger? He's younger than me. He's nine months because... He is their biological kid. They didn't think they could have kids. They went and adopted me. Once they knew it was going to go through, see, getting pregnant is very, very psychological. I've heard stories like this numerous times, but this was one of the times. Once my mother found out that we, they were going to get me, I don't know what they tried. They had a miscarriage, a kid that would have been four years older than me, a son. If he was here, I wouldn't be here. They tried. All those years, they were not successful because they're old school Italian. Old school Italian people, they don't adopt kids. That's not typical, but they all have kids. And now that they can't have it on their own, they want that little kid. So my mother looked at baby orphanage pictures, baby pictures from orphanages, all, you know, different places. And she found me. So I said, you know. You're meant to be here, bro. You were meant to be here, period. You were meant to be here. That's right, man. It's It's a, you know, it's a, it's a. You know, it's a pretty good story, you know. It's uh, you know, I'm blessed to be where I am today and thankful for the I mean, if you look at if you look at it, I mean, and this is why I believe the, the what you're going to do with the rest of your life, I think you're going to shock the world. I have this gut feeling about you, but I don't know why. We're going to get into it. But if you think about even your inception, right? The start of your life was against all odds. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then you know, you go to school, you're kind of in a rough area. It's not the best in the world, but it's not horrible. Not, not as bad as certain parts of the Bronx, right? Which no, absolutely not. Nightmares, no, no, no. and I know. But you kind of, you know, you kind of manage to stay okay for, you know, not get too crazy, not too far off the path. Now, you said you would have went back to school. What do you think? What did you, what were you thinking about being if, if the acting never happened? What, what were you thinking about being? You know, at that point, I hadn't really put much thought in what I wanted to be. But I do know I did want to sit behind the desk. I did want, want to, to be sit a corporate guy. Desk. Huh? You want to be? A, you wanted to be a corporate guy. Yeah, I wanted. I wanted to be wheeling and dealing. So you were thinking about being corporate. Yeah. Um. You know. I didn't, I didn't quite know what I wanted to be, but I knew I didn't want to be. 
like my uncles, my father, in just the sense of how hard they had to work. You want to not, be a businessman. Right. I did not, not to say I didn't want to be like them as men, as actual men and fathers and not that. But as far you know, they all broke their ass, man. These guys are all old school. My Uncle Joe's a cabinet maker. This guy's in his, in mid-70s. He's still working, sniffing turpentine every day, all the glue, the shit that he uses. You know what I mean? My uncle, you know, he, you know how many years my uncle was making cabinets? He was a woodworker. My uncle did, did, would, did uh, display things for Bruno Malhi, you know, the, the shoemaker wow. that, you know, the old yeah. man. My uncle's no joke, man. If you see some of the stuff my uncle's made out of wood, and even some of the stuff my father's made, some of the houses, like curved in brick, perfect. Like the things that these men did was unbelievable. But I let mean, me we tell all you know the Italians were amazing, especially in the 60s and 70s with construction. They were phenomenal in New York City. Yeah. yeah. But there's, you know, like, you know what, though? But not to, you know, there's, there's a lot of other ethnicities now. Because it's not the Italians were better. They were the first ones to do it. But now, you know, you got other nationalities, man. It's not about what nationality No, of course, of course. You know what it's about? You know what it's about? It's about how quick you learn and how hard you work. You know what I mean? Because you got some guys that could, they're great learners, but they don't work out. A hard, I'll, if, listen, if I'm a boss and I got a company, I'll take a hard worker over a guy that learns fast any day of the week. Even though he learns a little slower, this guy's going to break his back. The other guy, what's the use of you learning fast when you don't do what you're supposed to do? Do that fast too, you know? I'll take a hard worker. Hard work trumps anything, you know? So as we now talk about how you break into uh, Hollywood, so you weren't really looking to pursue acting at this point in your life. It kind of happened naturally, right? Yeah. I was so, on the beach. I was on the beach in 1992, July 5th, you know, we're on the beach. You know, uh, and my friend Sal, he plays soccer on a team called the New York Albanians. Tony Kamaj, Anton Shkreli, all those guys. Now, yeah, I remember, New- I remember hearing about the New York Albanians. Yeah, yeah, they were good. Let me tell you something. They were very good. Very, very good. I heard there used to be some brawls at some of those fights, bro. Brawls? What? They, they, they got into a, they had a game against these Jamaican guys, a Jamaican team, okay? <laughs> That's already going to be crazy. Yo, they played at Evander High School in the Bronx. Let me tell you something. After that game, guys went to the car and got guns. That's the kind of game that turned into. I heard about that one. Oh, you Albanians are crazy. <laughs> crazy elbows. You got all you crazy Albanians hey, over there. Listen, Jamaicans are crazy too, bro. You gotta, They're you, crazy you too. You got you to gotta knock a Jamaican out, bro. There's no way that's what I'm saying. Stop. So you got, you got two very proud ethnicities, very prideful them, countries. Yeah, I love the Jamaicans, bro. Yeah, they're great, you know? <laughs> they bring the light, you know? Especially so, when they're fighting for you, not against you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no. Yeah, that's how that fight. That's how that... Did you used to play? Yeah, I used to play, not on the level like those guys. I was good, but you know what it is? When I was a kid, I was so bad that my father knew and my parents knew how much I loved soccer that they would always use that as leverage to make me be good in school. My father says, you get in trouble one more time, no more pocket sack, I'm going to take you off the table. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. So they knew. And, you know, don't get me wrong, it kept me in line a little bit more. I was just, you know, a class clown. I was always getting in trouble, you know? So. That's one thing, that's one thing we got in common. But I finished, man. I did my thing. But here's my thing. So you're at the beach. There's, now, you see, I had seen in other interviews, there was a little bit of buzz about this movie. You had already heard about this film maybe coming out? And, I mean, you had heard a little bit about it before? Or was it completely just random, man? No, 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 it. no. It wasn't random. It was big, man. That movie, The Bronx Tale, was everywhere. They got, 
flyers. It's on the radio. You listen to the radio. Come in to, you know, like, did you ever think you could be a movie star? Well, here's your chance. Robert De Niro making his directorial debut in a Bronx tale. You know, all actors welcome, you know, from this age to this age. And, you know, the Libra, and, and I'm hearing this stuff. You know what I'm saying? My cousin went to read. It was like a big, you know what I mean? And I'm Basically, so it was kind of like freaking what today would be the equivalent of you going in for American Idol. Like, good luck. Here's your number and good luck. Right. Now, you didn't even go in. You're like, I'm a, you were on the beach, you said, when you were discovered. You weren't right, even trying to audition. Right. You know what it is? I thought it would be like so hard and such a long shot. That, you know, that was the kid I was then. But the person I am now, I wouldn't care what it was. If it was there and I wanted to do it, I would do it. Because that's the, listen, because you know what? What's the worst could happen? It doesn't happen. I don't care about that. Because then I'm exactly where I was right before I did it. And if it does go good, my life is going to change. You know what I mean? So you, you never lose there. There's never any minus. You're going to come right back to here. You don't go under. You know what I'm saying? But you know, with, with me and your story about you're getting your break, there's people that bust their ass. They go crazy, whatever, whatever, right? This is why I believe in something called divine wisdom. The wisdom of God. See, I believe human beings have free will, but the game board is rigged. You see, you couldn't control who you came from and who you were born to. That was decided before you were even born, right? Like who your parents were, then the, the people that raised you, who your parents were, right? The people that raised you. All of this came into motion. You had no control over that. None. You being at the beach at that moment when that person discovered you, whatever. I mean, think about the odds of that. The odds are so great. And... I think your story proves to those that believe in a higher power, and I know there's people that don't, but I think that everything happens by God's will. And there's a reason that we don't understand why. We don't understand why. But I want you to continue. I don't want to go off too much on the tangent. No, no, so, that's fine. So you're, you're off in the beach, you're doing your thing, and then what, someone approaches you? No, someone approached my friends where they, was, where they had all the towels. I was in the water. I just, oh, I just finished playing soccer, believe it or not, with these Colombian kids. July 5th, 1992, it was like 95 degrees out, hot, sweltering, Jones Beach, field four. And, you know, playing soccer on the beach is hard, man. Of because, course. You know, the sand is so unpredictable. You'll have a high part, a low part. So you've got to adjust, that constant adjusting. Your ankles get beat up, man, you know? And when, and when, you, and when you play like, and then that heat is, you know, that sun's beating on you, the heat, you're getting dehydrated. So I needed the water. So I went right in the water after that. And then I hear when I'm in the water, right? I hear my brother, lay, lay, right? So I'm thinking, what happened? So I mean, I thought maybe we could like get into a fight. You know, maybe they got, because we, you know, you, you ever go to section four in Jones Beach? You know, it's funny. I've never been to Jones Beach, bro. <laughs> Jones Beach, like if you went there, it would be like, I guarantee if you went there, you would see people you know. Of course. And, hey, That's part of the reason I don't go there. Right, bro, you're smart. I haven't been there since 2005, bro. You're right. I'm, you're a, I'm in the Jersey Shore. I don't want to, brother, I don't want to see no Albanians. I want to chill. I don't want people to see my wife in a bikini. I'm old school like that, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's all right. I'm you're joking. Right. I'm listen, bro, now, my, my family has hotels down in Cape May. That's why I go down to Cape May. Well, hey, listen, that, that makes sense, right? That makes sense for you. That's actually, yeah. you know, where I've been hiding out, you know, with this whole Plus, corona dude, you spend shit. Less money. You spend less money, too, right? That's it's beautiful, Don. You ever, you ever been well, down to Cape May? No, but I heard it was beautiful. If you could save a, a few bucks, then do it. You know? Oldest beach resort in the country, man, since the 1600s. It's very historical here, man. Yeah. Very, re uh, 
Victorian. All the architecture, you can't knock down buildings here. There's no McDonald's in town. They don't like, they keep it very historical. You'll love it. It's a very, very romantic place to go with a girl. Or your wife. Yeah, yeah, nice. I, I heard nothing. So they're calling you, Lilo, Lilo, come over here. You're thinking, yeah. what do they want? So my, I, I go to where they are. And my brother was like, Lee, this is the guy for the, you remember that De Niro movie? This is the guy for the De Niro movie. Remember that movie we heard about? He's like, yeah, I told him you look just like De Niro. And he wanted to meet you, right? <clears throat> so I'm like, hey, you know, my brother, the guy. And it's crazy. I just, his name's Marco Greco. I just saw that guy in like January, February, okay? I have not seen him since that day. Of this year, you just saw him. Just saw him and I haven't seen him since that day. Now, what was his role in the movie? Did he even have anything to do with the Nero? Or was he just like a guy trying to get you to come on? And You know who he was? You see the Irishman? Did you see the Irishman? I have not seen the Irishman yet. I haven't had a chance. Okay, but there's a scene where De Niro beats up a store owner for being disrespectful to his daughter. So he goes over there and smacks him around, beating him up and kicking him and all that. That's, that's the guy. His name is Marco Greco. So he's an actor now himself? Yeah. I mean, he's done some acting. I think because... This whole audition thing was going through the Belmont Playhouse, which is in the Bronx, right in Belmont. You know what I mean? Right off Arthur. So of course, just him exactly being affiliated to the Playhouse, you know he was a, you know, an aspiring actor. And this was a good opportunity for him to get to know De Niro and work with De Niro. Because, you know, I mean, look how it paid off. You know, almost 30 years later, he's in The Irishman. Still so working. he was basically what? Like he was like maybe like a like a like a casting director kind of. He was not really. He was a casting scout. scout. He was scouting talent. Name yeah, and uh, so he was like, yeah, he looks just like De Niro, you know. And uh, I remember I had a couple of beers in me, too. So, so you were in a good loose. mood. You were loose. You were in a good mood. Yeah. No nervousness. So, yeah. So when he started, you know, when he when that, I saw that guy, I knew that was my shot. I said, I got to shine right now. This is when it matters most. If it ever mattered in my life to act the way I act and the things that I do, impersonating De Niro and, you know, growing my hair out like him, you know, like he didn't keep fear of the fake tattoos. If any of that ever meant anything, this right now is where I have to shine. I have to make this guy believe that I can be that guy's son right now. You know what I mean? Because of that, that was July 5th, 1992. It was Sunday. He was closed. He didn't say it in the beginning. He said it after I started doing my impersonations and stuff like that. He said, you know what? He said, we're usually not open tonight, not on the weekends. He goes, but I want you to come in and put yourself on tape, like right now. He goes, I want you to come tonight. So I went that night. You know, my aunt, my cousin read for the part. She was like, oh, you're not going to get it. It's just it's bull. You know what I mean? Like the whole... Yeah, you know, I'm like, all right. You got a better chance of winning a lottery. Yeah, you know how they are, you know. I don't know how I don't know how Albanians are, but a lot of times they're oh, cutthroat. They'll fucking destroy your dream in two seconds. Yeah. Italians are worse. Maybe, in two though. seconds. Yeah, Albanian Italians are what? You want to you wanna what? You mean actor? Get out of here. Go get the fuck out. <laughs> go get yourself another fucking toolbox. Go, go fix my car. Get out of here. Ah, right. <laughs> shit. Yeah, so, you know, uh... And I made the guy, so he said, no, come tonight. My friend, my two friends, Victor and Rocco, they drove me down there. We drove down the Bronx River. I was nervous. Had on red gap shorts, a red and white striped gap shirt. I got this crystal on that I bought on the beach that day. It was my good luck charm. 
I had on black Reeboks, you know, uh, running sneakers. And I had on, you know, the socks, but they were all pushed down, crinkled, you know, the way we used to wear them all the way down. I had it like that, bro. And on a little watch, <laughs> I, remember, I remember my hair was like, it was full, man. We had a full, good full head of hair. I remember I had it all gelled up nice. I remember it was a little longer than usual, so it was curly. But I had it gelled up nice, tanned up. And I went in, man. I mean, dude, not for nothing, though. I, if I knew you back then, I'd say, listen, bro, I think you got this shit in the fucking bag. And the reason for that, you look like, you look like the fucking guy, bro. There's yeah, a resemblance. No, but that's, but that's, that's one That's thing. a part of it, yeah. That's a part yeah, of but it. if you can't act, they're not going to put you. They got no, you. of course. If because you're not good on just, camera. They, they would say something like, fuck, man, I wish that kid could act. He looks just like me. They're going to burn through millions of dollars. They're going to burn through right. money if you can't act. They're done. So... And it was his first project. I mean, he really, when I heard your other interviews you've done in the past, the amount of back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, you got this part. It was never, it was never a walk on the set. You got the job. I mean, for the last minute, you didn't know you had it. You kept going against other people and other actors. And well, the one, not in the beginning, but then they started getting less and less. And then it was just me. There was nobody else there. I was going there every day. But then... After a few months of, you know, doing that, not a few months, like a month, like a few, you know, like three weeks, Robert De Niro said, I want you to wear, dress to, tomorrow when you come, I want you to wear clothes like you're going to church, wear a pair of slacks, shoes, button down shirt. He says, we're going to have a screen test. I'm going to put you on film to see how you look on, because, you know, people look different on film. That's Absolutely. why something, you see people like, oh my God, I thought you were much bigger. Or, I thought you were much smaller. Or, I thought you were this. You know what I mean? So now he's got, he's probably, you know, he's thinking this kid's doing everything I need him to do for this part. Let me see how he looks on film. You know what I mean? So it was on 375 Greenwich Street. That's De Niro's building in Tribeca. In Tribeca. And on the second floor, he's got a movie theater, a big screening room, okay? That's where everybody was waiting, all the actors. Because they would go, they had this big like thing where they had parties, this room. Everything was set up in there. Lights, camera, crew, everything. You know what I mean? But the doors were closed. The only people in there, the only people, the only people in there are the people that need to be in there. Other than that, no one else. So when someone needs to come in, you bring them in. So now you got the girls, you know, the kids there reading for the girl's brother. You got people, girls reading there for the girl. You got little kids reading for the little kid. You got that kid, that kid, that kid, that kid. You know what I mean? So it was a lot of people, right? So now when I go there that day, I go with my father. Because for like a while now, I haven't seen anybody else come to audition but me. So I thought to myself, I, then I said, you know what? I got, I'm, this is in the bag. It's common sense. Why am I the only one coming? It must mean they like me. They just want to work with me a little more and then tell me, you know, you got the part, right? Logically, that's the way you would think, no? So then I'm in there, right? And I'm sitting down. It's probably one of my most nervous days ever. I'm dressed up like he told me. I'm with my father. And I remember a lot of kids, you know, kids from Arthur Avenue, all kids like reading for the parts. And, you know, they're just like, I don't know, they were comfortable. Everybody was like talking, and, you know, and that's fine. I was very nervous because I knew I had, this was my day, brother. This is it, you know? This, this, this could make or break me. This, this is where my life goes, this way or this way, today. So I'm sitting there, my heart's racing. 
and my father's right next to me. I'm not saying nothing. I'm just concentrating. I got my some lines I'm going over and I'm reading. Next thing you know, because I'm right at the edge, on the side, like you know, on the side, like if you're coming down the side steps. Next thing you know, I feel this. Hey, what's up, man? I was like, hey, what's going on, buddy? He goes, hey, what's up, man? He goes, I'm Phil Garbarino. He goes, I'm reading for Cologero too. He goes, it's me against you. He was the kid who shot Sonny at the end of the movie. That's who they were going to Yeah, pick. the guy he that's like there. pushing, he's pushing through the bar to kill him. Right. And he was older. He was 21. I was, he was like 20, 21. I was 15, 16. So the movie would have been different with him anyway. But now I'm about 20 times more nervous than I just was. Because this kid is here. He's here amongst all of us. He got to this point. The finals, that's it. Right, he got to this point because, because he's good. There's something they saw in this kid that got him where he is. So now I'm saying, now I'm trying to think what he could have on me. I'm saying, wow. I said, you know, I definitely look more like De Niro than he does. I know I got that. But if he's a better actor than me, I don't know. They may go with him. Because you know what it is? You're putting $20 million into a movie? Absolutely. I don't know if I could bank on, though he looks like me, to bring my money back rather than some kid who could actually bring some emotion and make you feel this character. You know what I mean? That's what it would come down to. So, and I knew that. Even then, I knew that then, that the fact that I do look like more like De Niro, but that's not going to really be something that's considered at the end of the day if the kid is, you know... Much I'm better not, actor. Yeah, if he's a good actor, come on, it's too much so money. Now, know? during this whole process, this you know, and, and, and I think also at this phase where it's just you and him, I think so, listen, I've lost many times in my life. We all have, right? And but sometimes when you know when you lose in the beginning, you're like, ah, but when you get that close and lose, I think that can be very devastating to be one person that like all I have to do is get past this last guy, it would have completely altered everything. But but um, while you were doing this whole auditioning process, did you start having any fantasies of what it would be like to become an actor, become famous? Some you of us have had the, them. You mean from the beginning? Like, like while you're going through it, you're going like, man, I can get a big part here. I might be able to blow up. I might be able to become famous and make money. I mean, do, does any of these fantasies start coming no into your head? No doubt about it. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. I mean, I had that fantasy. Did it keep you up? It keep you up at nights fantasizing about it in the beginning when you first started I mean, the process? The day they found me on the beach, okay, we were in my friend's father's station wagon. We were kids. My friend was like 16, 17. He drove his father's station wagon that smelled like fish and meat because his father had a restaurant. So he used to bring all the, buy all the food early in the morning and bring it to the restaurant. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. So this, and you know, I don't know if you remember the old uh, station wagons. You know, in the, in the trunk part? The bench seat. The seat you can look, but you look yeah. out the back window. Yeah, yeah. That's where I was sitting. <laughs> That's where I was sitting on the way home. And you know what song we had on, too? And it was getting me emotional? It was from the Rocky, one of the Rocky soundtracks. You remember that song, Measure of a Man by, by, uh, by Elton John? You who, it goes, you who can win, you who can lose, now you must choose. Yeah, it's yeah, in yeah. the measure of a man to rise above. And I'm telling you, that was the song we were listening to. And I'm thinking in my mind, like, 
I always thought that if I went to read for this part when I heard about it, I know I would do good, but there's so many people I thought it was a big waste of time. But now it's like, it's here. Now I'm going to get that shot. It's no longer, half of that's been eliminated just by the fact that the guy liked me right there. You were excited. You eventually get the part. Right. You get the part. You film this, this movie that becomes one of the top five of all time, bro. Like anyone you ask about mafia flicks, and I've asked real mobsters. I don't know if you've seen any of my episodes. So I had, you know, former Gambinos on here. And I asked, I was like, what are your favorite, like what are the most authentic? I've asked, like, you know, that's a great question to ask a former gangster. Like, which, well, which gonna, that's, because, that's, the, that's where you're going to get the best feedback. And I'll ask him, I'll say, which movie do you think portrays that life the best that you've seen? The answers I've gotten are Goodfellas, Bronx Tale, Scarface, Scarface without, the last, without the last scene, Scarface. That's what he said. Yeah. That was like a little bit, you know, too crazy. So I can ramble all of a sudden. But. But don't forget the Godfather. <laughs> of course, but even they say that was like a little bit long and jolly. They say like the, like the top two I've got. What did they say about the Bronx? What did they say about the Godfather? That was long and like too romanticized. Too romanticized. They said that? Yeah, some of them. Have I not said that before? Yeah, exactly. I have said those words. Don't get me wrong. When it comes like, they showed a different part of it. And everything they did show, they showed beautifully. I mean, it's amazing. But There's like no to me, the best parts of the movie, like when you see like, you know, Luca Brasi, when you see Salazzo, when he goes to meet. Remember when, remember when Luca Brasi goes meets uh, Salazzo and Bruno Tattaglia? Remember New York City? And you see him yeah. walking down the hallway, it's so dark, and you hear the footsteps, and then you see Salazzo over there. Salazzo was like a, a menace. He had the hat always, and he, he hit the dime, bro. He wasn't playing. Remember what they said? He was, a known, he was known as the Turk. He was a top narcotics guy. He did a prison sentence in Italy. He was, and they said he was, he, was, he was known to be good with a knife. As he's walking up the stairs, you hear Tom Hagen talking, telling who he is. And you got Salazzo walking in that dark staircase. Things like that were beautiful, bro. Because you feel this dark character. You hear him walking up the steps and you see a shadow in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the staircase. You know what I mean? And you hear Tom Hagen, Robert Duvall, saying he's known as a Turk. He's a top narcotics guy. And he said he's known to be good with a knife. So he's telling him, like, this guy's a, you know, he's a top narcotics. Like, he's not playing. But do you remember what Don Corleone said? He, he didn't want to get involved. He didn't want to get involved. One of the Don's he was. He said, but this drug business is a little dangerous. Remember what he said? Don Corleone exactly. said, this drug business is a little dangerous. For a guy like that to say it's a little dangerous, it's dangerous, man. And that guy, Salazzo, he was one of my favorite characters. Frankie Pantangeli, remember in the second one? Because remember, Clemenza was great too, but I like Pantangeli. And the second one, you know, because he took over for Clemenza because Clemenza supposedly died of a heart attack. So now he was a capo. He was a capo regime. So he had a crew under him. So once Clemenza died, that's what they wrote in the script. Well, I don't know whatever happened, uh, why they wrote him out of the script. I don't think that was intentional. I think something must have happened because that guy was great. You know, Clemenza was a beloved character. But I got to tell you, man, the Godfather is definitely – undeniably the best sequel ever made because it picked up right where they left off like it was all one continuous movie because like sometimes you watch sequels 
and just the quality and everything. It's like this. Yeah, is, absolutely. I agree. This shouldn't you. even be part of this. Exactly. This shouldn't even be part of this, you know? But then when I saw The Godfather 2, it's like, it's just one. It's phenomenal. Movie, right? I like it better than number one. Which nah, is yeah. nah, you know what? I like for one better. Because come on. Bro, I like when he it. goes back and gets revenge. I mean, that's the Albanian, yeah, I guess. But Yeah, I know. I but know. Come on. I know, but for colorful characters, man, you had... No, no, of course. You had Marlon Brando as the Don. You had Sonny. You had Tatalia. You had Salotso. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Sonny Sonny makes it for me, man. Yeah, Sonny Sonny. was great. Get out of here. Remember what he said? Remember when he went to go beat up Carlo Rizzi? He threw the stick at him? Yeah, of course. Come here. here. Threw the stick at him. That was an amazing scene. You're right. Yeah, that was the best. Remember when he was punching? You hit my sister, huh? (laughs) No, he told me. Yeah. Okay, we went off on a Godfather my tangent, sister but, again, but what I was trying to do was to, to, to tell you that from what I've heard from street-level guys, yeah, 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 at the highest level, I'm talking Gambinos and, 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 and Fat Andy's son, and I mean, you can look at my interviews, these are, these, are, these are serious guys, they have over and over said Bronx Tale, Goodfellas, Bronx Tale, Godfather, but, but Bronx Tale's always in there. So I think the the portrayal played by Taz and I mean honestly, bro, when you, when people watch that movie, there could have been no one but you, bro. You were freaking perfect for that role, man. And you end up being the like really the main character. I don't. I mean, you are the main character in that movie, man. You know oh, your character, whether it's the, whether it's the baby, you know the the the, the baby see that sees the murder, and then you carrying that whole role. And I think it's a timeless story, like you've said in other interviews. It's a fact. I mean, especially we know what happened in the Bronx, bro. There was racial tension there, moving into the neighborhood, the Italians, the Albanians, the Irish, the Spanish, the Puerto Rican. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a war zone, bro. Let, let's be real. It became a war zone at one point. You, you, get, you get the dream shot, man. Like, can you give us one thing you've never given anybody, man? Give me one memory on the set of Bronx Tale, something that just, in your mind, you remember this Something just amazing that you know, like you have these memories that maybe you don't share with the world, but they just always pop into your heads. You have flashbacks. Anything really cool, man? Something really awesome you could tell us while you're filming? While thinking, I mean, a memory that just popped out, and anything, anything that you can think of. Something special, something that my my viewers are getting for watching. Anything. Yeah, it doesn't have to be anything major. It could be just something simple, like. I remember Chaz bought me a Sunkiss soda. He like, I mean, I don't know, just something. Well, Chaz, Chaz did before we went to the before we actually started shooting the film. He treated me because I used to like the Gap. <clears throat> that was my favorite store to shop for clothes and stuff because it was so versatile. You could go there buy suits, dress up stuff that always fit. The cut from the Gap back then was perfect for me. Everything they made fit my body and my body shape perfect. That was my favorite store in the world, and. Everything. Then you got jeans that were cool, T-shirts that were cool, leather jackets that were cool, regular jackets that were cool, belts. They had shoes. They had everything. The Gap was the best. And he knew that I loved it. And before we started shooting the movie, he took me, uh, he, uh, got, she said, I got a surprise for you. She says, come on. He goes, well, I'll take you shopping at The Gap. And I remember he gave me like a $500, $500. A lot of money back then, bro. Of course. Now, this was a breakout role for Chaz, too, right? This was big for Chaz. This was huge. Not only his breakout role, but he wrote it. It was his life. So there's a lot more at stake for him than somebody who's just in the film. More for him, way more for him than me. One of my cousins was actually next door neighbors to him up in Westchester, up in Yorktown. They became really good friends. I've never met him through him. I've met Chaz about three times in my life. He did a play 
at Pace University. That's where I went to school right after 9-11. He was with Pacino. I met Pacino that night. And uh, it, was an, it was an amazing moment for me. I have that picture with Pacino. Ended up becoming friends with one of his bodyguards, uh, assistants or whatever you call them. And, uh, but, yeah, they were cool, man. But um, did he ever, did he ever, like, was he nervous? Like, did he tell you he was nervous when he was filming? Like, they just say, hey, kid, my life's on the line here, too. I need you to come through. I need you to. I mean, was there any pep talks like that? I mean, no. Is De, Niro, De Niro's first movie filming. But, that, you know, he's the producer. This guy's, a, this guy's, yeah, he's the first time directing. This guy's a breakout star. You're a breakout star. There's a lot of first-timers, a lot of first things going on here. I mean, the fact that it came out as amazing as, as it did is amazing. I guess it shows you the genius of De Niro, you know? The genius of, the, of De Niro. The people that he brought, the people that helped great, him make the movie. A, it was a great story. It was a very solid, really, a lot of life lessons, well-written, well-structured, very, very good story. Chaz was unbelievable, Sonny, because no one's ever seen him. So now you got this new guy that comes on the scene as a mob boss. To me, he was one of the most believable ever. And the reason why he was the most believable ever is because you never saw him before. So he could actually be this guy. Like sometimes you see these big names and these big actors and I watch these movies and, you know, and I love some of these actors, but sometimes it's like certain actors are just so iconic and just been around for so long. I no longer believe because there's because they're they so iconic. Certain. Uh, they and you played have certain stamped, roles. Yes, you have stamped and, and created such a legacy for yourself that I respect you so much that I can no longer see you as anyone other than, the, I, other, no, other than the icon that you are. You're an icon. Like, I like, hate to use this example, but I'm going to use it. The guy that played Shooter McGavin and Happy Gilmore with, with uh, Adam Sandler. Amazing actor. Know. Okay, the guy's an amazing actor. He's played in so many great movies. He always has like, a, like a, a shady or a bad guy type of role. But everyone only sees him as that role that he played with Adam Sandler because that's what his like most iconic. Everyone loves that role. I get what you're saying. Like when you play one part in a movie that's so legendary that people can't see, they'll even call you by that name forever, for the rest of your life. Like, that's no, you're right. But even, even more than that, even more than that, you know, you know, you got these actors that have been in so many movies, like it's going back to like the 60s and 70s. And they have a body of work that's so amazing. And they have really, really stamped their legacy in, in, in film and television history. They make a mark that's like immeasurable. So now what happens is the mark becomes so immeasurable and they have accomplished so much. Now it's like, I have so much respect for you. All right, say a guy like, and I love him, and I respect this guy so much, Sylvester Stallone. You know, like he, like that role, Rocky. Nobody could have been that, just like nobody could have been Don Corleone, like Marlon Brando. But Sylvester Stallone, you got to understand, he created, he created all his work. He made his career because he wrote everything. That guy came from nothing, and you got to understand, he had Rocky and Rambo. He had two franchises going. That's a man that I respect so much. And now, like, if I was to see him in a movie, because I love him and respect him so much for the man that he is, and he's on Instagram, yeah, I follow him. He's got, you know, he's his daughters. He's a great man. He's always videos of his daughters. He's such a family guy, this and that. That now, if he was to be in a movie, because I know and I respect and love him so much as Sylvester Stallone, I can't see anything else. You know what I mean? 
because he's a legend. legend. He's a, and, and I'm saying this with the utmost respect, and it's the biggest compliment in the world. Never in a million years would I ever try to insult Stallone. He's like he's a, an idol of mine. I love him, you know. So I did love him in Demolition Man too, though. <laughs> I did love that movie, man. Happy joy. We're living in that world with this coronavirus shit. We're gonna be yeah. doing the happy. Yeah. We're gonna be doing this shit, like in you know. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy, but it's almost becoming prophetic. That movie, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, uh, this next part is is we're getting to the important part, man, and 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 then we're gonna talk about what you want to do after. But you get the fame, right? The movie comes out. You're not really prepared in your mind when you look back at it now. Were you ready for fame, though? Uh, do you think you were ready for it? What, it? what it brought with it? I mean, I know, I know you said in interviews you were, you were warned by De Niro, is it, or, or, or Chaz? Chaz De Niro, well, both. Both of them. Yeah, I, I'm, you mind if I eat I a protein bar? Brother, you mind if I eat a protein? Brother, you mind if I eat a I'm going to eat a protein bar, right? Yeah, they should pay you for that. <laughs> yeah. Pure protein, there example. it is. Come see Let me. Let ask you this. Did, did, I mean, but what did Chaz know about being famous at that point? I mean, De Niro, he had the right to tell. I mean, what did Chaz know about being famous at that time? You, you make a good point there. You make a very good point. He was good friends with De Niro, no? I mean, I don't know if they were good friends, but no, they definitely liked each other. But you got to understand, like Joe Pesci was a good friend of De Niro's. I don't know about if Chaz was because Joe Pesci already at that point had history with De Niro. They did Raging Bull back in 1979. You know what I mean? So that's, they have history. They've done that. They did Goodfellas. They have history. They're Monty Scorsese's guys. You know what I mean? They made some of the best films in film history together. But, you know, then Chaz comes along. So I don't think he knew Chaz that long, but they were very friendly toward one another. Well, so. So you get the fame. Do you remember the first moment you were like, shit, I'm famous? Like, it really hits you, like, wow, I'm like, what, what was that one moment you're like, yo, I'm, I'm famous right now? Uh, when I saw the coming attraction, I was in a movie theater with my cousins and stuff, and I didn't know it was going to come on. I never saw myself on screen, ever. We're in the movie theater watching a movie with Tom Cruise, summer of 1993, The Firm, the movie The Firm, when he was the lawyer. Remember the, the I know nice you'll guys? do your best to protect the firm. Yeah. Those, yeah, but you know, you know the movie. That's what we were going to see. Of course. And next thing you know, one of the coming attractions comes on. And I was like, and then I heard my voice. I was like, whoa, oh, my God. It's crazy, right? What? Where were you, across county? Yeah, that's exactly where I was. Across county. Yep. Uh, my, aunt lives, my aunt lives two minutes away from there. So we were all at my aunt's house. You know the way when you go to relatives' house, all the kids are in the front. So one night we were in the summer. We were kids. We said, let's go see a movie. The movie theater was right there. We didn't know what we were going to go see. We just went, and whatever was playing, we go in. Got the air conditioning. We eat popcorn, goobers, drink a soda this big. Oh, fuck this. <laughs> a bucket. <laughs> you a bucket for 20 hours. Yeah. And right? uh, that's, that's another mall I avoid, bro. Like, you walk down there, you're going to run into, like, 50 of your cousins. You're going to, you know, it's like, I don't want to be spotted in Marshalls, but I want you to think I bought my shit in Macy's. You know what I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love Marshall. No, I do too. You can find some good stuff in there. The zipper might not be good. Lucky, it's, it's good. 
when you you can get lucky there and find like real. Yeah, genetic. the pocket might be off just a little bit to the left, but yeah, yeah, yeah be like, <laughs> or maybe short on the bottom one side. Yeah, yeah, like your pant leg might be a little two inches short on the left, but you got the pants for five hours and they're right. rough. Makes off all of it. That's all. Let me tell you something. The older you get, you got to look back. You know, you can dress nice wearing all these names and bullshit. Like when I went to Italy, Bo, you could get clothes for so cheap. The name, I wear my own name. Like, you know, like I get it, brands. And, you know, I rock the, I rock Ralph. He threw me out of his office. It's all right. It's a long story. I got thrown out of Ralph Lauren's office back in the day. 1411 Broadway. I used to do commercial real estate. I was knocking on doors. 1411, I don't know if it still is, but back then, that's where that statue is with the little Jewish guy. He's sewing on 7th Avenue, Fashion Avenue. So I used to work for my cousin in real estate. He lives in Terrytown. He tells me, go up to these buildings. I want you to knock on their doors, find out when their leases are over, and, you know, try to do leasing, you know? Right. I go into Ralph Lorenz's office, bro. They threw me out of there like a, like a sack of potatoes, man. Wow. So I decided to go back. You know what I did? Huh. I bought everything I had on my body was Ralph Lauren. The, the, the shirt, the, the, the tie, the color, everything. My sneaker, like, not my, my shoes, everything, my trench coat. I go up there, I say, I'm going to act like I know him. I go, hello, man. Is Ralph in? She goes, sir, is he expecting? I look sharp, bro. Everything Ralph Lauren. I said, yeah, tell him it's Beck. I do real estate for him. I don't know, yo, Ralph Lauren comes out of his office, bro. And he goes, who the fuck are you? I go, Ralph, you don't recognize me? He goes, kid, how old are you? I go, I'm 19 years old. He goes, I've never seen you in my fucking life. He goes, what do you want? He's like, I do leasing, man. I just want a shot to try to earn your business. He goes, kid, let me tell you something. You're going to make it. You got balls. I look behind me, there's two security guards. He goes, but you got to go now. I go, but Ralph, one thing I just want to show you. I start flashing all the labels. I've supported you my whole life, man. Even my underwear's got your name on it. I said, Give me a shot, man. He goes, I'm sorry, kid. I got someone that handles that already. I said, I'm wearing Calvin Klein from now on, you piece of shit. They threw me out of that building like a sack of potatoes, man. I was terrified, man. I like Ralph Lauren better than Calvin Klein. Ralph oh. Lauren happens to be one of my favorites. Look. I love him. No, I wear him too, man. If you go look at my other videos, I wear the horse. Yeah, yeah, Ralph Lauren. Horse. For T-shirts? He's the G. The best. So about when the movie comes out, though, brother, I'm talking about, okay, I knew you, you realized you were going to be famous when you saw that, that, that preview, but I'm talking about, like, when the fame hit. Like, did it get to a point where you went outside and people were like, oh, my God, I loved you in the movie? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. The I mean, how bad was it? How bad was it? It, it, was, it was a lot in the beginning because the movie, you know, um, it was a lot because I was doing Renaissance Man in California, and the Vito. movie was in the theater because it got released in October, uh, end of September. So it was in the fall. I was away working. Um, and obviously a movie like that is going to be much bigger in New York than it is in L.A. L.A., people knew about it. There was posters and it was big. It was a big because it's De Niro, you know what I mean? Um, but in New York, it was in the East Coast, you know, Jersey, New York, Philly, Connecticut. That's where it really, like, was on fire. You know what I mean? Because people from the, you know, the tri-state in this area, they love those kind of movies more than anywhere else because they can relate to it. They know that element personally. So this movie comes out. When I came back home from California in December, right before Christmas, we, we finished. That's when I really, that's when it was really like overwhelming. 
Because then now I come home, I just worked, I made some money, I got some, you know, so now it's the holidays, I got money in my pocket, I'm going out with my friends. That's when it really became like in the beginning where people would really want to get a PC in, you know, start fights with you or ask you questions, you know, about related to making the film and, you know, how De Niro was and stuff like that. And it was, uh, you know, it was a little overwhelming, um, you know, especially since I was a young kid and I never had any experience with, you know, certainly nothing, anything like this. So I, you know, I did what I did. And I mean, uh, you know, I definitely didn't handle it the best way I should have. I made bad decisions behind all of that. And, you know, obviously, you know, the rest is history, which we will talk about. But, uh, yeah. This, so then, and I want to wrap, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry to cut you off. Go ahead, what were you about to say? No, no, I was going to say then, you know, from, because uh, I was going to say, then I worked on other films after that. You know, so that was, yeah, that was huge. Renaissance Man, we did that. That came out the next summer. That was a big movie. Um, it was out there, made some money. I think it made a little over 50 million. But for back then, that was more because then what of it course. would be now. Of course. Because, and, and especially they didn't pay that much. You know, they didn't, it didn't cost them that much to make. Back, you know, now, if you don't have a 50 or plus million dollar budget, like $50 million now for a budget is nothing. Yeah, right now luck. in Hollywood, may not during this corona pandemic, but I'm saying is nothing. They make movies for over a hundred million like every day. It's like a whole different world out. But they spend the money, they make it back. They put the big names, the big concepts, the attractive and they make like Avengers, you know, they make the you know, they make the money. So I don't feel like man, I don't feel like you're seeing these amazing films like Rockstar anymore, man. It's all this action packed bullshit. You know? Well, it's different now because, you know, as far as films that come out in the theater, it's uh it's those films. Like people say, Lilo, you got any movies coming out? You know, it's like, uh, oh, is it coming out in the theater? And I'm like, you know what? It's kind of a different world now because a lot of the, I mean, look at Pacino. He's got a, a show on Netflix. It's a different world. It's all, gone, it's all gone to television. Well, it's gone to the streaming services. Netflix, Amazon, Hulu. Yeah. And, no, that's where it is. These, these where amazing, it is. Yeah. And these amazing movies like Bronx, like these types of really authentic films that are not about exploding cars and shit. I feel like they've gone more the independent route. Like, like that's where you're going to see true, like really amazing acting and storylines and stuff that, you know, if you're not into all the Avengers and all that other Marvel, you know, nothing against it. Everyone got what they love. You know what I mean? So you become famous, brother. You're in an amazing movie. You're working with DeVito. I mean, you're, you're in, bro. Like you're fucking in. You made it into Hollywood, bro. Yeah, I was in. I was in. I was in, you know? Uh, but now the dragon starts, you start. Well, yeah, well, the then I started going out more, you know, uh, drugs become, you know, more accessible, women, good times. And it was a path, path to destruction. And then well, the next year I did. The, women, women throwing themselves at you? Yeah, of course. I like, was seven, I mean, I was like, eight, like ridiculously easy? Yes. I was 17, 18 years old. I was in the Hollywood Hills at these parties with like, you know, prostitutes, like Heidi Fleiss prostitutes, hot ones. Not that I paid for them. But I was just, it was like, you got cocaine over there. You got some girl with her tits out, some hot, hot blonde. It, me and my brother, you know, like me and my brother, we were 17, 18, we were, and we went out for the, for the premiere of Bronx, uh, Bronx Tale, Renaissance Man. So I remember we were hanging out. We're at this house party. And I remember we were both doing blow. My brother's a good man now. He doesn't do anything. 
a family man. But he but never you had a problem. Well, you, guys were, you guys were having fun together. I mean, shit. Yeah, but so me and my brother, we're young kids. My brother's 16. I'm 17. We're in this bathroom with these girls. Like these, ask my, he'll tell you. Beautiful, like Heidi Fleiss prostitutes. And they found us like, oh, these guys are so cute. And they're grabbing us, grabbing them, and, and <laughs> sniff and blow. Next thing you know, one of this story I've never told before. So this is a good one. I don't know if it's a good one. I don't know who will consider it good. But next thing you know, the girl, she took a blast. Next thing you know, as soon as she got up, she went, as soon as she went like that, her nose started gushing blood. So me and my brother were like, did you see that, girl? What? And you're like, what, 17 when this is happening? Huh? You're like 17? Yeah, I remember we both had our shirts off. Wow, we man. poked out of our skulls and we were sweating. You know what I mean? You know, you get, we weren't really, because we were like, we just started doing it. So we weren't like, geeked out because that's when you do it a lot then you become geeked why out. do you think you did it the first time was it peer pressure no i just i was curious i wanted to try it let me see what everybody's talking about let me see i want to see for myself and then it's like a few minutes later curiosity killed the cat and then a few minutes later then it's like i love you man you know like i don't really know you i know we just like met tonight and stuff but you know like I don't know, just the way you looked at me when we were over there, like, I love you. You know, like, I really love you. I think you're like, you know, like, Crazy I don't know where I, that's, you get all emotional and you're like, tell everybody, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I'm like, eh, now I see what they're talking about. This stuff is pretty, it's like white gold. But, like, it's this all, stuff is, but it's a fake love, man. Yeah, but you know what it is? It's the devil, because there's a saying in Italian, when the devil caresses you, he wants your soul. So that's what he does in the beginning. And that's what he was doing. He was caressing me like, come on, Lilo, come on, come on. You're a part and of then, these people now. You're in a different group. You got, look, you're all together. Misery loves company, like they say. Right, right. right. So the devil. And then now I'm you like, speak Italian? I speak, yeah, I do. I do. My man. My man, there's a lot of people that they can't. And they say they are. Yeah, not, I'm not saying you're not. A, that's amazing. I speak pretty fluently because when I was away in, uh, you know, in, uh, when I was incarcerated, I got relatives from Italy. They were writing me. They were writing me letters. Wow. I got wow. my cousins. They don't speak with that dialect. They speak proper Italian. So I had the little, I had the little dictionary, the translation. So I learned how to speak a lot, a lot. So you started pretty young, but I mean, 17 years old, you're, you're, you're into heavy shit already. Now the movie's out. You got a little fame. Yeah, Bronxdale came out. Renaissance came out. And you know what? Here's the thing, man. I could have done way more in that time. There were a lot of movies they were offering me and stuff like that where I, you know, I'm like, I want to hang out with my friends. I got money. I got this machine going, a movie, movie, you know? So I'm thinking this will be like this all the time. So I'm like, nah, nah. And my, my agents are like losing their minds. Like, what do you mean? No. Did you read the script? Uh, like, bro, this is like, a, you know, an $80 million movie with this one and that one. And you don't like the script? And like, you attribute that. And you attribute that to you attribute that to the to the abuse, the drug abuse, to, to the no, drugs. No, not at that point. I attributed that to being Ego. young. No, young and wanting to have fun, and a lack of discipline, and a lack of foresight to see what was in front of me and how I needed to treat that. If you gave me that right now with the person I am, I will I will turn that into an empire from here to you know Albania. To, to, from here to Albania, I'll, 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 because now I know that's gold. You're giving gold. You worked with one of the best actors ever who handpicked you to be his lead in his directorial debut. With that, and as successful and 
well received the film was, I could have done so much more. I could have, I should have, I would have. But you know what? I can't change what happened back then. All I can do is worry about myself just for today. Not tomorrow, nothing. What can I do today to make myself better? I did a couple of things already. You know what I did? I went and I ran outside. I didn't want to. I was tired. But I said, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway because I know when I'm done, I'm going to feel like two million bucks, not one. It's good for me. I'm getting older. I don't want to lose the rhythm. Because what happens when you lose the rhythm, you don't go back. You don't go back. And especially now we're older, bro. We're not in our 20s. When you're 20, you know, you're 21, you get an injury, this and that. Two days later, you're better, right? You go right back in the gym. You don't even feel it. But when you're older now, man, like I'm going to be 44 years old, I get an injury now. It doesn't go away. I got to just deal with it. I got to do exercises that don't affect it. I was like, ah, if I go out here doing the, the presses, it hurts. So I got to stay in here. I got to stay tight when I do the presses. Because I go out here, I'll scream. My shoulder will fall on the ground. You know? <laughs> it's been like that since... Been like that since 2014, you know. But I think I think you could be a talk show host yourself, bro. You fucking you, know? you got yo, you got a mouth on you, bro. You know how to yeah. talk, man. Yeah. Seriously, I like. Oh it. yeah. I, um. So and I'm gonna I'm gonna speed it up a little bit. So obviously, bro, the descent. Basically, what we're showing people here is your descent into darkness. Well, I've seen it happen. Exactly I've lost. It I've lost. I've lost friends to addiction. It started out all fun and games. It started out all nice and No, dandy. but then it gets to a point where... It takes over your life. Well, this is when I started noticing, like, uh, you know what? Something may be wrong with me. We were all doing it. Like, a lot of my friends, that guys that would not even look at it now, they were doing it too because we're young and we're having fun. And you know what I mean? When you got no responsibilities <coughs> like that, you're just in school, you don't got a wife, you don't got kids, you live with your parents... What are you going to worry about is doing your homework. And maybe you got a little job. You work at a supermarket. I mean, what do you really got to worry about? So now when we're young, we're all doing it. You know, we're going to school and, you know, we're doing it. And then it got to a certain age, like a lot of, like 95% of those guys, they weren't doing it anymore. You know what I mean? They started becoming more mature, meeting women, and then, you know, going towards something. And I'm looking at these guys and I'm thinking, that's the furthest thing from my mind. I'm still getting high. And now I would have blow on my Mount St. Michael yearbook. You know, I went to Mount in the Bronx. <laughs> I had my eighth grade yearbook. It had a hard cover. I used to sniff. That was the, 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 that's what I used to use to cut my blow. If you look at it, you'll see lines all over from the card when I used to cut the blow. You'll see the front cover. It's a disgrace that I did that. But that was the thing, right? It was right next to me. I said, oh, I could use this. And that's why I used to have it under my bed. And now it's like on a regular weekday, Tuesday. You know what I mean? It's not no more on the weekends when you drink. Now it's Tuesday for absolutely no reason. Now, were you living in New York or L.A. mostly at this time? I, was, I never moved to L.A. Maybe, I don't know. You know, sometimes I think if I would have. Uh, uh, I'm surprised you didn't. Huh? Like go out to L.A. It would have been better for business, huh? It's a sign she pulled the dishwasher. I don't know. I just seen it. Uh, Lila, what do you think? But then again, listen, bro. I have something inside me that likes darkness, and I fight it every day because I like the dark side sometimes. I like that. I used to love the way liquor used to feel in an empty stomach, drinking Johnny Walker Black on the rocks with a splash of club soda. I didn't eat on purpose. 
I used to, that seems like fire. I used to go right to the bar, bro. I used to get the call of the dark, the dark, the dark, the dark side call. I would be a Tuesday. I'm watching TV. And next thing you know, I just did a movie. I'm good. I got money in my pocket. And then I get the call. Like my, the devil's calling me. Like, bro, what are you doing? You got nothing to do. You've been working so hard. Come on. Next thing you know, I'm at the bar right in my neighborhood. You know what I used to do? I used to order six scotches, Johnny Walker Black on the rocks with a splash of seltzer. And I used to put the six straws right in the middle and drink six drinks and then do it again. Once I, and I'm on an empty stomach, I'm per, you know what I mean? So now I'm fired up. But I'm at, at Scott's room, you know what I mean? Slurring. I'm ready, man. I'm ready for a hit off that crack pipe. I'm ready. I would, I would, I would kill somebody for a hit off that pipe. That's how crazy that makes you, especially when you're, you're liquor. Liquor is the gateway drug, nothing else. Marijuana I agree does with not, you. Marijuana does I agree. not bring, you know, when they say marijuana is a gateway drug, I don't no. believe that. Can marijuana no. cause you to... To want to be curious, maybe. No, but no, no. Marijuana can maybe make you lazier. It can, but marijuana, I don't believe, is a gateway drug that will bring you back to destruction. I believe that No, you still alcohol, have your logic. You still have your logic with marijuana. You lose everything with alcohol, man. Alcohol's gone. Everything, you could be fighting with your hands up. As soon as you drink, everything goes down. You lose it. I used to, I know I can't touch one drop of liquor. If I had one drink right now, everything that I put together, it's over, it's, it's over brother. It's over. I agree I, with you. Brother, I used to go out there after those 10 scotches within 15 minutes, bro. I'm out there. I'm right in the street now. I got a stem. I got the screen pushed in. I'm pulling $40 rocks in that stem. Yeah. 100% alcohol is the fuel the devil uses, bro. There's no doubt in my mind, bro. There's a reason why they call it spirits, wine and spirits. That right. shit takes over your soul. You forget if you are, you'll forget... You'll do shit you never thought you would ever fucking do when you're drunk. No, alcohol's bad stuff, brother. It's bad okay. stuff. You lose all sense of reality, what's right, what's wrong. And of course, you're going to go to hard drugs. And, uh, you know, not everyone, but there's that certain amount of people that it's going gonna, it's gonna to make the dark side come out real easy. That's a fact. That, you know what it is? It's like a dragon. It's like a, there's two dragons inside me. Yeah, well, gonna, you know, like I said, you got a good dragon and a bad dragon in your body. And I say to kids, I say, what if you know what dragon gets bigger, the good one or the bad one, right? Some people say the good one, the bad. No, the one that you feed. The one that you feed gets bigger. If you go to church, you're a good person, you love your family, you respect people, you're feeding the good dragon. Then good things will happen. If you go out every night of the week, you cheat on your wife, you drink. You gamble, you do all this shit, you're feeding the bad dragon. You know what I mean? Let's come back, yeah. Absolutely. There's two, there's two of them inside of us. But Absolutely. like you said earlier, the free will will enable you to pick this or this every single day. For a person like me who's an addict, which is something that I'll always be, I mean, I don't struggle like I used to, but there's little days here and there. Where you I feel a moment I, of weakness. Yeah, there's a moment of It's I, not even a moment of weakness, but you know what happens? I fantasize. Little fa little fantasies. Sometimes I'll just be laying in bed and you get those fantasies of smoking crack, 
Not even that. You remember, yeah, you remember the past, man. You remember that thrill. I, I know, I know. I haven't drank in eight years, my brother. I, I know. Believe me, I know exactly what you're talking about. Trust me. It, it, I get it. it. Yeah, because it imprints a memory in your brain. That feeling. That feeling that was so good, we never forget it. That's why when the cocaine was so good in the beginning, you don't forget it. But then it gets worse and worse and worse because the devil's taking your soul a little bit more. And once it's gone, you're geeked up. You can't talk. He got you. There's no coming yeah. back from that, bro. You no. don't come back I was from lucky, that. though. I, I, never, I never crossed over into narcotics. Thank God. It was just liquor? It was just liquor for me, man. You know what, brother? Let me tell you something. Alcohol is probably worse. I'll tell you why. I, I, I mean, the I shit you can do with it, absolutely. Oh, well, no, here's the, well, here's you the can thing. kill people. You can get killed. You can kill someone with your No, but it's, 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 it's worse. But it's worse than the narcotics for you. It's worse. It's a worse okay. drug. Yeah, I'll tell you why. I worked for a health company, a dual diagnosis health company, drug rehab and mental health. And I used to see the people that would come in with different drugs of choices. Okay. Cocaine, psychologically, very addicting, very seductive, but it's not a physical addiction. You could snort it all night. You drink a little liquor. You go to sleep. You wake up the next day like nothing happened. You go to the gym. You may be a little banged up. But it's over. Once you fall asleep, it's over until you do it again, right? But even cocaine, say if you did it 30 days in a row, okay? I know you're going to crash hard, but once you drink and you crash and you go to sleep, when you wake up, okay, you're going to be fine. It may take you a little bit to get your wits about you again, take a good shower, maybe a good jog. Your heart's going to be worked up because you're beating it up with all that stimulant. Your heart's going like this, you know what I mean? You beat yourself up. But bottom line is once you fall asleep, you wake up, you'll be okay. Uh, heroin, okay, when you do heroin 30 days in a row, and then the 31st, you want to wake up, okay, and you don't have any more heroin, you just stopped it, you will not be okay. No, you will not. Because that's a physical addiction. That's a physical addiction. Okay, say if you don't have methadone or suboxone, or whatever these drugs they use people to wean off the dope, okay? It would be very, very uncomfortable and you would probably crawl through your skin and you'd have diarrhea, your aches, your bones would ache, you'd have chills and that's your body would I've crawl. seen, I've seen, I've seen people go through withdrawal. Okay, that's withdrawals, okay? Horrible. Okay, that's withdrawals. But without any medication, it's gonna be difficult, but you know what? You're gonna get through it and you won't die. Very uncomfortable, very terrible experience. You won't die. Hmm. Okay. Alcohol now. Now alcohol, right? 30 days in a row, you drink. Say you drink a gallon of, uh, a liter of vodka every day. Big bottle, right? 30 days after that, right? If you don't have medication when you start detoxing, you will die. Alcohol kills you. It's the worst drug out there. Don't be fooled because they sell it in the store. No, no, of alcohol, course. Alcohol. The detox off alcohol will cause your body to convulse, go into shock, and die. You need Librium. You need medication or you will die. When I look at it that way, I say to myself, you know what? Alcohol is worse. How is heroin worse? Heroin is worse in a way where you can die easily from it because it's so strong. But if you used it in a way where you knew you weren't going to kill yourself every day, where you're not getting like that, you're just fixing yourself, and you know exactly where the dope came from. It's not lay in it. You know it's dope. 
and you know exactly who grew it, and I guarantee you could do it for two months straight, yeah, you're going to need detox. You're going to need detox, and you're going you're to go through withdrawals. That's the way you would do it. But just say you didn't have the insurance or the money for detox or whatever happened, and you had to do it on your own. You will not die. Alcohol, if you put yourself in the same situation, but alcohol is your drug of choice, you will die. Yeah, I forgot. There's a word for it. I mean, what you're saying is absolutely medically is a fact. What you're saying is, is the truth. Yeah, I know. 100%. Brother, so you go through all this, you slip into darkness. Now, did you have it? Like, who did you have famous friends? Like, did you have any celebs you used to hang out with on the regular? I mean, just like, yeah, you know, I didn't really. That you would see often? You know what it is? I was just so out of control at that point in my life. And I was going nuts. You know the way, you know, from Yonkers, Bronx kids. You're going out with these kids. I mean, you were involved in nightlife. I know for a fact because I was in that world at that time. Yeah, but you know what it's told, you know, like from around And you used to be, you you used to go to a place called Cessa's. I think you used to host a party there on 23rd Street. Lot 61. No Lashman used to do. I was with the little stiffy when I went to the trade. Lot 61. I was there. I was there on New Year's Eve. Sweet Uh, 16s. Sweet 16 was great. I guess I see. Sweet 16. Oh, these are some great clubs, bro. Sweet 16 was great. What was it, like 16th and 9th or something like that? 16th and, I believe, 8th. It was right there. Mistaken. Either 8th yeah, yeah, or 9th, or 16th. That was a great place. Well, you I know see, that they... They did the old Sunday one night, Ralphie. They, Ralphie they, created a, they created a suite in, uh, in, in uh, the uh, garden, Madison Square Garden, because Taogu was bought by MSG. So they have a box called Sweet 16. That's why it's called that. They actually named it after their club. That was yeah, the spot, bro. That place, it's on 16. that place huh? was tiny, bro. Oh, it was tiny, but it was good. You know, what it was, was all A-listers. Place? It was all A-listers. You go in there, Britney Spears in one place. I look to my left, I see what's her face, the blonde chick that was in all those movies. She was crazy. It's Tyra no, Reed. It was, a hot, it was a hot spot at the time. It was a hot it was spot, a, bro. It was a very hot spot. So, I mean, you were in the nightlife. You were going to the best clubs. You had you juice all over the city. You remember Eugene's? Of course, bro. <laughs> of course. But, but just the VIP area. Uh, the VIP area. I used to go there. The rest I, of the club? I, yeah, the rest of the club, you can wipe your ass with. I used to roll with the, uh, with the click, they were called back then. Click. They were the promoters. Richie Romero, he handles Butter Group now. He handles like places like... Uh, one Oak now, these top hot spots. But yeah, they were promoting down a certain, you know, every night there was a different group of promoters I had their night. I used to go there on Wednesdays. Eugene's, yeah, I had a good time, man. I used to go Shit, Friday what? nights. I used to go Friday nights, the VIP area. I that was a hot place, bro. Tyson you Beckford on those... over there, Mariah Carey. <laughs> that was a good place. Yo, you would sit on those couches and just chill, bro. Remember Duvet? Duvet was crazy, especially what happened there. No, I didn't know what happened. I don't. Was it Duvet or Bed? I forgot which one. But someone died, pushed down the. It was either Duvet or Bed. But they were partners, and they separated. And one guy opened one club, and one guy opened the other club because it was Bed, and then there was one called Duvet. They were right next door to each other. Duvet means yeah, Bed yeah. in French. From what I understand of the nightlife in New York, these two guys were partners. They broke up. One guy opened up Duvet. One guy opened up Bed. You got to look on the news. I forgot which one. But somebody died. A servant, a service person. Both of the elevator shaft or some shit. Something crazy happened there. The place got cl- closed down. But yeah, of course I remember. Yo, at one point in time, 21st Street in Manhattan, between 5th and 6th was like the hottest block in Manhattan, bro. We're talking 2001 to like 2006 era. The city cracked down on that block. Slate's still there. Slate's still there. You had Deep, which was the old Ohm. 
You had Metronome. Yeah, Metronome was down the street, though, more like 12, 15, 6. Yeah, it was right on the corner. I went there for Halloween one year. I had this Versace jacket. It was like a raincoat uh, texture, and I had the Versace buttons. It was all black with that raincoat thing, and I had the silver Versace head buttons. Yo, I loved that jacket. And I don't know <laughs> if you remember, in that place, Metronome, that had the thing. Everybody put their jackets over there? Yeah. You know, I thought somebody right stole my jacket. I thought somebody stole my jacket. Oh, my God. I was literally It's not there anymore. I think it's like a department store now. Yeah, but you had home. You had the limelight was down the street. You had uh, what the, I mean, Cheetah yo, you Club. Caught, I know, but Cheetah you, Club. Caught, you caught. You got to see. I, I was a, I'm a little bit younger than you, even though you look way better than I do right now. I'm a little bit younger than you. So I caught the end of, like, Factory. All those other people. I never liked that place. Peter Gation places were all gone. Those were the best. They those were, were the best clubs ever. Limelight was gone. Palladium was Limelight, gone. Limelight, Palladium, USA, and the Tunnel. Those four they were clubs all gone, were the though. best. So I caught I caught. I was the going there in 93, 94. It's the hype. I Go caught, ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I caught the end of, like, Ro Roxy. I caught the end of Cheetah. I caught the end of Vinyl. I caught, I caught the end of these places. And then it went to straight lounges because you, you got to see mega clubs in your, in your time. I mean, Club USA, bro. You guys had a fucking that, slide. Club USA was the best. It was a slide. They had the now, Bronx Tale Ecstasy. Park. Ecstasy was big in the, towards the, the late 90s. The 90s was all ecstasy, man. One and of my cousins. Was, I, I, the limelight lime was an ecstasy factory. The you know three worst drug clubs know? ever were the limelight, Twilo, and Sound Factory. Did you, you used to do ecstasy? any night in any one of those places. Trust did me. you used to do ecstasy? Yeah, of course. I was, a, I was fucking, like a garbage, I was a garbage pail. Those I was like a human me. garbage pail back then. You could have told me it was whatever it is, I would have took it. That's how those bad hit, I was. Those hits when I were, start drinking. Those yeah, hits were it. no joke yeah. back then, bro. This is my brother's this is my brother's nuts. Okay, I'll take it. You know, that's what I was like. I was just a, a nuts. When you, you just, like you said, when you drink, you're lucky you didn't get into the drugs with the liquor, man. I, did, I thought you, he would have been that, brother. I knew, I knew, brother. I lost too many people, man. I knew that that's one bridge I couldn't cross, man. I wouldn't make it back. I knew. I lost so many friends, brother, to, from, from heroin, from painkillers, from cocaine. People that I loved, people that I knew, people from the neighborhood, people I grew up with. And I used to go out with them. They just died, bro. I mean, you know, you know people, wanted, people went into K-holes, never came back out. You know? you know why? You know why I know I'll stay sober? Because I don't like liquor. I don't like liquor alone. I only used to drink like an animal. So when I do go hit the pipe or the cocaine, which I love, liquor I don't love. I like it. It's okay. I don't drink it to quench my thirst. I'd rather go have this, a nice peach pear seltzer, you know? But the alcohol, I don't crave drinks. I never sit in my bed and fantasize about a cold vodka. I don't give a shit about that. Without that, Without that stuff that impairs my judgment, I'll never go back to the other stuff. That's why people don't realize how strong, how strong of a part and how big of a part alcohol plays in this whole. You got to understand, if there was no alcohol, how much less there would be of all this other shit. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, bro, bro, I don't even, like, I don't even think about you. Like, come on, bro. I, I'm off parole. My mother's got liquor in the house. Got, I don't care about that stuff. I could go drink whenever I want. But here, with, with me, myself, like this, where I got my wits about me, I'm sober, and I'm just, I will never, ever consciously want to drink. Or I will never just go snort heroin or cocaine. If I don't have the liquor, 
my thought pad, my thoughts are not to do that. When I have the liquor, that's my only thoughts. You've identity, you identified the enemy. You know now which, what's the trigger. Right. So when I drink a- liquor, my own, the only thing in my mind, it could be my nephew's eighth birthday, and I promised him and my, my sister that I was going to dress up as a character to make all the kids laugh. If I drink the day before, guess what? I'm not going to that party. I'm going to go get fucked up. As much as I love my nephew and as much as I would do anything for him, when I start drinking, I will miss that kid's party because of what it causes and what it awakens inside of me. Something that's not what you're seeing right now. It's no regard for anything else. The only thing that I want to do is feed this body drugs to feel a certain way. I don't know why, but it's always the escape. We want to escape to something else. But the thing that I always thought about was, well, why didn't you want to escape before the alcohol? So sometimes I think it's a fake escape. Alcohol is such bad stuff. It's such bad poison. And for so many years, like, you know, people think because marijuana wasn't legal, they give it a bad name where marijuana could actually help people. It can actually help people. Common sense. If, if taken do you, do the you, right do way. You, do, you, do you use any marijuana? I mean, do you no, smoke? No, I don't. But I'm saying. What about I CBD? CBD, yeah. I've tried little things. Uh, I love Some it. oil and stuff. You know, I got to be honest with I didn't really see any. I didn't see a difference. I mean, I don't really. Maybe I didn't use it long enough. But I use fresh CBD. Amazing. Amazing, though. I'm talking about it makes me feel very calm. It makes me a little sleepy. Like all the benefits of weed without getting hot. Love it. Yeah, no. We'll try it sometime. Alcohol's the alcohol's the enemy, brother. You know, and, and, you're, and this why, conversation why is it illegal. When people were like, you got these old Italian people. You you mentioned they drink their homemade wine, and and there are it's old school Italians that are alcoholics, just like you see Albanians. That's all they do is drink wine and get whacked during the middle of the day. But then well, you Albanians talk about like, marijuana. Albanians like Albanians like I just see, bro. They drink that well, shit. But but, but I'm just saying the old school Italians, and then no, when no, you course. tell them. And then you tell them about marijuana. Oh, I know smoking dope. But what They're do you drug think addicts. Oh, you must think I'm a fucking crazy. Bro, you're drinking wine. You're drinking wine. This stuff has ruined people's lives. You're drinking alcohol. You're trying to bang your own sister-in-law. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, it's crazy. Right. You get what I'm saying? Right. Alcohol's the devil. Lilo, the let me take it legal, here. Let me take it here. The fact that it's legal is beyond me. I got to get you in the studio. I'm going to have to get you in the studio, bro. Alcohol and cigarettes. The fact that these two things are legal and we can purchase them whenever we want is, and it's absolutely fucking disgusting. The people responsible for this should all fucking die. They know what it does. Yet, they still have huge houses and everything. You know what this does. You know it's going to cause me lung cancer. And you know my uncle's got throat cancer. My uncle Steve, I love the guy to death. Guy gave me a go-kart when I was a kid. Okay, made it with his hands for me and my brother, my father's middle brother. He got throat cancer because he smoked. But yet they, they tell you it does. They know it, it causes that. And they still sell it. And they still sell it. And alcohol. People beat the shit out of their wives. They go kill people in the car. They start smoking crack again. Yet, right now, you and I can go to a store and go get it right now. Right? This is what we live in. This is what we live in. And we're supposed to be okay with some of this shit. How the fuck is it okay? Let me say something to you. Last week, last week, a cousin of mine, I'm not going to mention her name. 
my cousin's wife, driving the car in New Jersey on the fucking highway, okay, in the middle of the night. She's driving on the fucking highway, bro, freeway, whatever you want to call it, Route uh, 78, bro, in Jersey. A car is on the wrong side of the highway, hits the car next to her head on at 100 miles an hour. She was drunk. They had to airlift six inches. The lady clipped her rear view mirror. For six inches, she would have been dead today, gone. They came with helicopters, everything took the people. The lady was intoxicated. I get what you're saying. I want to move on to the next point. Sure, brother, sure. Because I, I got maybe like another 15, 20 minutes. That, that's that's what I'm saying. And we went like way over what we said, but like it's just flowing, man. It's just, but we had some technical difficulties too. But listen, you went into the, now you, you, you start missing roles. You, you even said you even passed up reading for Saving Private Ryan. I mean, this thing right, starts Steven taking- Steven Spielberg. My life with every single day and my thoughts became more consumed with drug use and nothing else. Not about no, no, you know, no regard anymore for being. You're a good full blown at it. I mean, that's it. Yeah, no you're, regard. All right. Well, here, well, let me let me break it down. I was using cocaine all, every weekend, pretty much by like 1999, 2000, and then I did so much cocaine to get paranoid. I was in a car with my these kids that were my friends, but I was so paranoid I thought they were gonna kill me. So I jumped out of a car. See the scar? Yeah, that's crazy. I jumped out of a car doing 60 miles an hour. I destroyed my whole head. Where was that? What, what 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 road were you on? Oh, we were by uh, we were out in Queens. It was during 2000, during before the Subway series. We almost got killed by all these kids in a bar. I started a fight. It was only like five of us. I started a fight with everybody in the bar. Next thing you know, because these girls had uh, Jeter uh, jerseys on, and I'm a Mets fan, so I was drunk. I go in this place like an asshole, like a punk, and I told the girl, "F Jeter, fuck him." Next thing you know, the whole place wants to kill me. So we're running outside this place. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm running out the place, right? Were you, were you on anything? Were you, were you? Of course, bro. It was my friend's mother's 50th birthday. I must have drank about a bottle and a half of scotch, just myself. I snorted probably almost an eight ball. I was insane by this point. By this point, I was insane. The horns were coming out little by little with every drink. So you guys get jumped. Go. You get jumped in the bar. No, no, we didn't get jumped. We got away. Then we met up, and then I started getting scared in the car. Like these, it looked like they were looking at me. It looked like they wanted to kill me. I jumped out of the car. I got all banged up. My friend took me to the hospital, and I got staph infection. My head was all banged up. They started giving me painkillers. That's when I liked the painkillers. That's how it happened. And then I started taking these, and I'm like, wow, these things are great. Oh my god! Because cocaine, when you you need liquor stuff to go to sleep, this stuff helps you sleep. And you sleep better than you ever slept. It makes you itchy. It makes you yeah. really itchy, but it feels so good. Bro, the, half of the night, I'm scratching my nuts, but it feels so good. I'm like, wow, I got the fan on over my head. I'm scratching my nuts, and I'm sleeping. And I could have literally slept for like a month. That's how good it felt. I'm like, wow. And there's no repercussions. Like, once it's over, it's over. So I was like, wow, this shit is good. So then another, I did it the next day. The next day, the next day, the next day. Now you were getting parents. these pills prescribed to you, or were you no, getting no, them on no. the streets? Happened? Were you getting them on the I, streets twenty dollars a no, pill? No, not not even close to the streets yet. They gave them to me. I was taking them. Then when I ran out because I liked them, I knew my parents had them in the med because you, you go to the dentist, he gives you right ten of them. My parents they take one or two, they put it in the thing, they never look at it again. My brother too. I didn't realize that these things were gold. This is narcotics in my house. I didn't even know that. Believe me, I didn't know that. They would have been gone way before I, when I got them. So now, 
I went and looked. I got, I got a nice amount of pills, bro. I got like 50, 60 pills. I'm taking three or four, five. I'm in my bed watching, you know, Jeopardy. Once again, itching my nuts. Guy on the opiates, itching my head. It's great. And then, you know, then 2001, 2002, I had a girlfriend. Now, you're on The Sopranos she, at this point or that comes later? The Sopranos was before that. I okay. did The Sopranos in 99. Uh, you know what? Believe it or not, I did dabble in, in the opiates before that because now come to think of it, I was high on the set of The Sopranos. But I snorted some dope. But I wasn't bad then at all. Because of that, never, that horrible stigma attached to the word heroin, I was really careful with it. But now I got these pills that make me feel just like that. But psychologically, I know it's not heroin. It's a pill that but the meanwhile doctor prescribes. But meanwhile, it is heroin. Right. <laughs> it's crazy. It's a pill that the doctor prescribes to you. You know what I mean? And then I was going to rehab. And I remember even my, my Jewish lawyer, he rest in peace. I was in a drug program. And they found me dirty for the painkillers. Right? Now, but they don't tell you it's painkillers. They said, you tested positive for opiates. My brother comes, wakes me up. Because the, the lady from the place called, and my mother was mad. Because they just told her, you know, we found opiate, we found heroin in his urine, and blah, 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 blah. So now my brother comes up in my room. He's like, yo, Lee, mommy just got off the phone with the lady from the rehab. He goes, she's mad, bro. I'm like, why? He goes, yo, they said they found heroin in your piss. I don't know. I'm like, what? And I know I didn't do dope. But I, I, said, I said, oh, all right. It's the pills I've been taking for my head. So I got that excuse. You know what I mean? So now my mother was crying. She goes, no, I don't believe you. Right? So, so there was, I mean, your, your parents, they knew you had addiction problems. They were trying to help you. They were trying, they were trying to do whatever they could. I mean, at any point they, or no? They, did they know? Or they knew I had a problem. They, they did the best they could as parents with no experience with drug addiction. When you come in, like say, if you got an old school Albanian mother and father, you think they're going to know what to tell their kids? Their answer is going to be, I'll whip your ass and I'll, I'll lock or you in the gonna house. Be, they're going to be ashamed of it. They can try to hide the sweep under the rug, maybe and try to, maybe try to beat you. I don't know. I don't right. know. You're right about the that. Though. They're, gonna, they're definitely going to try to hide it. They're definitely going to hide they're it. They're embarrassed. Yeah. They're definitely going to hide it. Uh, Instead of saying, hey, you, you know what? My kid is sick. They need help. Let me... It's okay people find out. I need to find this person as much help as I can. You know? Right, but that's not the way the old school think, unfortunately. No, but, but the new generation is different. So, I mean, that was the old yeah, school. So I they, were, they were proud people, man. You know? Yeah, so in 2003, I met this other girl because she was a lot younger than the girl from before. Her name was Stephanie. So now I'm dating her for a couple of years. My drug use gets so bad. She's going to school to be a doc doctor. Didn't take the MCATs. She broke up with me because, you know, you know, I was doing drugs and she's like trying to go to medical school. So it's like, you know what I mean? So I was heartbroken over that. Then I became good friends with her father as a reason to go by the house. So this guy was, you know, ready in prison a few times. He was a low level, a low level guy. He was a guy, but he was a low, you know, low level guy, but he was still nuts. And, uh, you know, he liked to drink. He liked to snort dope. And, uh, evidently later on found out like to carry guns too. And, uh, we went out one night, December 10, 2005. This is the first time we went out other than to go get drugs. We actually went to the strip club in the Bronx, Crazy Horse over there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we stopped and got some crack and this and that. And, you know, the dope was wearing off. And I knew a house in the Bronx. And, yeah, you know, we went there. I didn't know this guy had a gun. We went there. I broke the window. 
But you know, people outside heard me screaming the guy in the house's name. So how is that? You know what I mean? That means like, yeah, it looks because it's a dead cop, but it's not a burglary, bro. That's not a fucking burglary. That's not a break a fucking burglary. A burglary is when you, you knowingly enter unlawfully. I didn't knowingly enter unlawfully in your sister's fucking ass. I knew that I could be in that house. Oh yeah, I wanted to get drugs. Maybe it's destruction of private property, but a fucking burglary? I knew the guy when he was a kid. He used to give me so the guy. How was that a burglary? Guy, but, but the guy wasn't there anymore, right? Because I read the story. The guy that you thought lived there was gone. Right, he died in July. And you know how I know? You know how and this came knows? out later? This was corroborated by other people? Yeah, but, but listen, you know how the jury knows I didn't know that he was dead? Because when I was shot and I was walking down the street and I was holding my stomach, I was squirting blood, I started screaming his name. Kenny! You know how powerful that is? Do you know how much that says that I'm innocent? You're calling out Dude. the name of the guy that you thought still lived in that house. Right, okay. Do you know how much... What you know what that spells out? My innocence. Do you understand that? One fucking fact tells you everything you need to know. There's so much in that fucking fact. A burglary. So basically, for those that are not familiar with the case, you had it all, you got hooked on a, drugs. Okay. You, you wanted City to get delete. you wanted to get high. You went to a place that you thought you knew the person was still there. You were trying to broke the window. You broke the window, um, try to get in. The neighbor. An awful cop came. As I was walking away, because I, I was screaming the guy's name, he never answered. As I was walking away, an off-duty New York City police officer from the basement apartment, which I had been in before, because my ex-ex-girlfriend lived in that apartment. I mean, we used to do laundry in that apartment. The little kid from the Bronx Tale, his sister and their family used to live in that house. That's how I know the guy were going to get drugs. I knew him since a kid. Do you understand? And he always used to let me go in his house. But let me tell you why, Kenny, Kenny, well, I'm dying. Why that's important, okay? A burglary is defined as to knowingly enter and remain and re knowingly enter unlawfully. That means I know I can't be in there. I'm knowingly entering unlawfully. I, I enter and remain unlawfully. That's part one. Part two of a burglary is for the purpose of committing a crime therein. It doesn't have to be to rob. It could be any crime. If you, if it's a, it's an unlawful entrance to go commit a crime, even if it's to punch somebody in the face, that's a burglary. It never specifies the crime, robbery or nothing. You could go in there, light a fire. You broke in to do that. That's a burglary and an arson. You're going to have a serious, you better have a good lawyer if you got if that, if you did that. Because now you got two major felonies against you, right? If you felt that you had license or privilege to be in that residence, it's not a burglary. Okay. A few minutes later, I get shot. I'm walking down the street. I'm, I'm hobbling. My subconscious, see, these are not statements. These are what we call spontaneous utterances, okay? And they tell a lot of truth because there's no thought behind them. They're, they come from the subconscious. They're spontaneous, and they just come out, and they spell the truth more than anything you're in, else. You're in survival mode at this point. Right, right. I didn't scream, Mommy! 
Ah! I didn't scream. Steve! That was the guy I was with. Steve! I'm bleeding, bro. I'm bleeding. Steve! I didn't do that. Oh, I didn't do Please! Please! I'm gonna fucking die! No. Kenny! Kenny! Now, what, what, but no, people no, 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 no. that this, live this there? The, yes, this is the most important part of the whole case. I didn't scream for anybody else except for that fucking guy. Okay? As you just said perfectly, survival mode. When I'm trying to survive, I'm going to call the motherfucking person who I feel I have the most legitimate shot at helping me survive. If that doesn't tell, Everybody in this fucking world that me and that guy were friends and that I wasn't burglarizing his house, they could personally suck my dick. I was not burglarizing that house. What else more do you need to know than what I just told you? I didn't fucking scream for my mother. I didn't, why don't they put this out in the newspaper? We had two witnesses, the Montalvos. They didn't even speak English. They needed translators. They were our fucking witnesses. They needed translators. They live okay? there in that area? They live right there? They heard it. They heard it in the middle of the night. They heard a man scream, Kenny! Kenny! That was me, okay, in survival mode. Because Kenny was my friend. He was more of my fucking friend than the guy I was with. Because if he wasn't, I would have called him, right? If you're about to die, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters? You're going to call who the fuck you got think's going to help yeah, you. Yeah, if I have a phone, the cops, or a person next to me, drive me to the, whatever it is, get me to the hospital, I'm about to die, whatever. Anybody near but, but But listen, I could have chosen to scream a million different names. I screamed one fucking name. That's innocence, bro. I mean, maybe you That's thought in your innocence. mind also, maybe you thought in your mind also that someone thought you were breaking into Kenny's house. So the quicker he gets out, they're going to realize. Nah, 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 bro. Nah. Not even close. I was going to die. I'm not thinking about breaking in and nothing anymore. All that was How many shots were you hit? You were hit with a couple shots. I was hit with two and a half. The, 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 the breaking glass and all that, that was then. This is now. This is about two pints of blood later where my fucking legs are starting to get weak because I think I'm going to die. My hands are tingling. I never felt this in my life. I'm panicking. I'm going to fucking die. There's snow all over the floor. There's blood everywhere. And guess what? It's my blood. As I'm seeing this, I'm getting so scared, bro. The blood's full of steam and smoke Crazy, because man. it's so cold out. It's my blood. Not a movie that you watch on TV that these actors play gang. You know, who, who, this was a real life thing that I've experienced, okay? Not to play I'm a tough guy, this and that, because I used it to help other people never have to do shit like that and never have to be in situations like that. This is what I think about every day of my life. Back in the day, I used to think about who the fuck can I fuck out of money so I can go get high? Now I think about who can I help today? How can I use my experience and my little bit of my nuttiness to help somebody? Because it's not nuttiness. You know what it is? It's passion. But you got to understand how bad my life has been affected. I understand, brother. I understand somebody died. I understand a 28-year-old kid, a cop. Forget about he's a cop or not. He's a fucking human. He was a kid. He had a mother and father that loved him and family that loved him. And that's something I think about every day in my life. And I'm never forgetting at least once every day I think about that poor kid and what he could have been and what this and that. But you know, I can't bring him back. 
and I have nothing but respect for him. I read about him. He was a good kid. He used to take his parents to, to doctor's appointments. He was a good son. And this kid died because of my addiction and being with this guy. I always take full responsibility because if I wasn't there drinking and this and that, but as far as they want to put me in the burglary thing, that's not a burglary, bro. That's a drug addict breaking windows in the middle of the night to get his friend's attention because he knows he has drugs in there. My friend Charlie Magna, rest in peace, I used to do the same thing to him. And he testified in my trial that I used to climb through his window in the middle of the night and his aunt used to get scared. And she goes, and what was Lilo doing? She goes, no, Lilo wasn't coming to rob us. That's what he used to do. When he wanted to get high, he would do anything. He used to like, you know, bring ladders and climb up the side of my house. That's how nuts I was, bro. But that's not a burglary. That's drug addiction. That's where it brings you. And the way they scooped me up and the way they, and the way they, they associated me with this huge crime. Dude, if I was there alone that night doing exactly what the fuck I was doing, you know what I mean? By myself, that guy would still be alive. So, you know what I mean? So you might still be, you might, you still probably would have been shot. Maybe not. Who knows? Who knows what could have happened? Because I don't know, man. I don't want to. Yeah, it's I not even, it's not even worth getting into that stuff. Especially, but the bottom line it's painful is, brother, for the family to even think about that. Bro, but you know what? It was painful for my family too. My father's dead. Because my father, I see all this shit on TV for all these years about them talking about me like I was fucking Charles Manson. My father's like, that's not my son. Yeah, he's got a problem with the drugs. But would he go out and do that? I've never been in trouble in my life. I was 30 years old. I remember when those headlines came out. I'm like, bro, oh, this, guy, this guy was going to the same clubs as me. Brother, how did they get to this? How did they get to this, you know? Brother, I was 29 years old at that, that night. You know what I had on my record? Nothing. You can't tell me or try to sell that a guy who's never been in trouble in his life 30 years later decides to one night say, hey, Steve, let's go kill a cop. It's not the way it goes, bro. No, you know the neighborhood. Matter. You know the way kids are, right? You know when a kid's going to be violent. Maybe in fifth grade, he hit a kid over the head with a chair in school, all right? And then at a house party, he stabs a kid. So now you know, and I know, because we grew up with kids like this, you would say, you know what? He's a violent fucking kid. Watch out for that kid. He'll, he'll stab you. Be careful. You know what I mean? We know. I wasn't one of those kids. If anybody ever talked about me, you know what they say? That motherfucker, he's a funny guy. He does these impersonations. Yo, this guy, bro, he always making me laugh. That's what I was, a comedian, a funny guy. You understand? But the way the press disgustingly painted this picture that I'm such an evil person. If I was evil, I wouldn't be doing the things that I do today in for redemption. And I just want to refresh people's memories here. Now, I have family in law enforcement. Some of them live in Yonkers. And listen, okay. by, and listen, by no means, real quick, I'm sorry, but I have the utmost respect for law enforcement. Before I got in trouble, they loved me, bro. You know how many times I got out of trouble because I was the kid from the Yeah, they were like, oh, you're that guy from the Bronx, though. Yeah, I get yeah, it. You know what? And I respect them so much. And the reason why I do is because they stick together. Listen, you they never had together. You never, you never had the gun. You never shot that gun. You got shot. Yes, maybe your actions led you guys going to that location. But at the end of the day, you're not the guy that ever pulled the trigger that killed this guy, bro. Period. You, know, you that, get that... a lot of these people. You get a lot of these people like that don't know nothing about the case. And just just based on the surface, they want to start talking shit about me. You know what I mean? Oh, you scumbag! You should be away. Blah blah blah. And I'm like, okay, bro, you're so involved in this, it seems, and you seem like you have such an interest in this case and whatever. Can I ask you a question? Because you seem like you care so much about the family and the victim. You hear me? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. 
you seem like you have so much interest in this and so much care for the family and the thing. And you know that, you know, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely unfortunate, but can I ask you just one question? You know, I wasn't the shooter, right? But that's not the question. The question is, can you tell me what the shooter's name is? Uh, uh, bro, it ain't about that. When you can't tell me the shooter's name, you're telling me that it's, you don't really give a fuck about what you're fighting for. It's more about, you just like, you're a scumbag and you just like to see people do bad. That's your nature. That's what I that tells him. me. I hate him. You're a hater. I like to call him scumbag. You're a scumbag. That's what you are. You know, I'm not a scumbag. I want to see people do good. And if I can help people do good, because when you help people do good, that's how you do good. And that's how you learn to do good when people do good. Obviously, you, know you went mean? through hell. You went through hell. You had a trial. You end up having to do some time because of this shit. You go in. I was acquitted of murder. I was acquitted of four of the top charges on the indictment. I was found guilty of an, of a, an attempted burglary in the first degree with serious physical injury to a non-participant, which to me is a bullshit conviction because the, the murder case, I was charged with murder in the second degree. It all depended on the gun. It's not intentional murder. It's called felony murder. It's when you attempt to commit, you commit in furtherance or in immediate flight from a felony, someone dies. Say you just robbed the house and now you're escaping with the car and you run somebody over or somebody's got to run because you're driving so fast and they get hit by another car, that's felony murder. That's on you. If you never robbed that house, this shit would never happen. It's all on you, right? Now, my case is the burglary and the gun. If the bur there's no burglary, there's no crime. There is no burglary. I just explained what it is. I just explained I was screaming for my friend Kenny. That's not a burglary. How do you not people understand this? People on drugs do crazy things. Breaking a window is nothing. Right or wrong? When you're on drugs or you're drunk, you're not going to break a window in two fucking seconds? Uh, yeah, of course you are. Bro, I'll break every window on the fucking street when I'm fucked up. I would literally go to every house and break every fucking window when I'm fucked up. When I'm sober, I would never do that. I would even think about stuff like that. You know what now, I mean? Now, the trial, your friend Kenny, he had told that you've done shit like that in the past? Huh? No, yeah, he was the, dead. Kenny oh, died. Oh, he shit. died in July. He died in July. He's but obviously an addict street, also, right? He was also, also an addict. But he died yeah? of HIV. Shooting needles. He could have he been either. But either way, he was a good guy. <sighs> he was my friend. He, was a, he fought for this country. He was a Vietnam veteran. Uh, he lived next door to my ex-girlfriend. And he was taking all these pills because he was messed up from the war, from the PTSD. He was taking Valiums. He was taking Tylenol codeine. He had everything. So when I used to go to, I used to walk in his house in the middle of the night when I used to fight with my girlfriend because I didn't want to stay with her, I'd go to his house. He would see me and say, you want something to calm down? He would give me pills. I was doing now, this as a you, kid. Now you resorted to breaking that window because you were knocking on the door like they couldn't get, I mean, did you go straight to the because, window? I mean, well, because I hadn't seen him in so, in, you know, like it was a little bit. I didn't even know he died in July. And that's why I was screaming, Kenny, 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 to go in. He didn't answer. Yeah, I broke his window. He would have got mad at me and said, yo, what the flare around? What are you doing? You broke the window. I'm like, don't worry, I'll pay for it, bro. Whatever, don't worry, I'll, I'll fix it, yeah. But, bro, you got any of those fucking pills? Please, bro, please. I just give you like five for right. I just want to sleep, and I'll never bother you again, all right? And I'll promise you I'll fix the window, all right? And I'll go, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'll give you the spare tire you could hold. Listen, I had a really good friend of mine who passed away from painkillers. And when he didn't get them, I mean, he would honestly go the fuck out. Brother, it's crazy stuff. 
people don't realize. That. He would start way. sweating. He would, I need them. He would go fucking crazy. So for you, if you were on painkillers at that time, breaking a little window for someone that you knew to get those pills, I believe it 100%. And here's the thing, too. I don't want to try to say, like, I'm blaming the guy I was with. No, no, no. One. Listen, so well, the, the, reason, the only reason you're if on anything, my show right now. If anything, he should have been mad at me. That guy, that shot the guy, he should be mad at me. Because I took him to this house, okay? He didn't know about this house. Because I told him, this is my friend, let's go get drugs. So he was like, let's go. He didn't know this shit. And neither did I. I didn't know. What do you think? I knew World War III was going to happen. His gunshots were like fucking 12, 13 gunshots. Within, you know what I mean? That's a lot of boom, 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 boom. I mean, you got boom, shot boom, boom. right in the beginning from your account. You got shot right away and that was it. Yeah, he, it was like 12 shots. You ran away. There was 13 shots that night. Wow. There was 13 shots. That's a lot of fucking gunfire, brother. Yeah, that's pop, 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 Yeah, that's back and forth. Yeah, boom, and then you hit, and then the loud one. Boom, the 357. You felt, I felt the ground. When I was walking away, I was walking down the sidewalk. I felt the vibration in the ground with the snow and everything. That's how powerful that gun was. Wow. And I was like, yeah, it was, it was serious, bro. It so, was really serious. Uh, and then you, you, go know, to, then you, like, end up, you end up having to do 10 years, right? Well, I did 10, but I already had three and a half from Rikers. I go upstate, I do five. I come home. I never got high. I stayed out of trouble. I went through parole with no violations. They don't write this in the paper, though. They want to bring up shit that happened 15 years ago. Why don't you write that? If you really want to know about me and the person that I am, not of this misconstrued bullshit that the papers write, why don't you go? These people want to talk. Why don't they go to my parole officers and say, hey, you know, I, I understand that you had Lilo Barcado on your caseload. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, what kind of guy he was, kind of person? I guarantee you not one of those people will say one bare word about me. I never played that Bronx Tale shit. I knew what I was there for. I got in trouble. I made mistakes. I never asked. I was supposed to be an American sniper. That was my first audition home. I still had the fucking email that Clint Eastwood was offering me the part. But the problem what? was I couldn't, I couldn't go to Morocco. That's where they were shooting a movie. Parole's like, you can't go to Morocco. Damn. You just got home. You actually cast you, you in a drug pro. Huh? I got the email right now. I have it in my phone. It was my first audition home. You want me to find it? You want me to find it? I believe you, bro. No, no, just you can, stay because I, I hold on. You can hold on. shoot me, shoot me a screenshot of it, but I'll put it in this in this in interview. That's crazy, man. Uh, Damn, bro. Yeah, and you know what? I could have been a scumbag. I could have been a you know, like fuck that, man. This is my career, and this is this. But you know what? I say, you know what? That's God. That's God telling me. You still have what it takes to do it at that level. All right. But see what happened when I gave it to you last time? Fast, nice and easy? What did you do? You went and fucking, somebody got killed. You went and did some crazy shit. I'm going to let you know you could still do this. But this time, you got to work for it. Parole said no. They weren't wrong. And I never once tried to get lawyers involved or do the Hollywood bullshit. I told the supervisor and I told my PO. Supervisor's name was Jamadi and my parole officer's name was De La Cruz. I told them both. I said, listen. I'm fully aware of what I am here for, and I'm fully aware that I know better than anybody else in this place right now. I'm going to do this the best way I know how, with respect for everyone here, and I like that right from the beginning. And I never had a problem. Now, one violation, nothing. Now, you were, fact, you were, you were, you were fucking Rikers, bro. Rikers is hell on earth, bro. And you did five fucking years there. No, three and a half. Three and a half, still. That's like fucking. So, you're spiritual, you're a spiritual guy. 
Yeah, but as long as the nuttiness, that I'm, a, I'm a little bit of a nutty, nuttiness, but I've turned it to passion. And as long as the nuttiness inside you is channeled in the right direction, you can turn that nuttiness into something magical and beautiful that other people, and not only yourself, can benefit from. And that's what I try to do. And you know what that is? Every day when I go work out, see, you can't tell somebody to do something and not do it yourself. And it's better to show people than to tell them. That's why I post all these pictures on my Instagram on my shirt off. For those kids out there still fucked up on drugs and they think that they can never get better. I want them to see me ripped and say, yo, that guy used to smoke crack and sniff dope just like me. And look at him now. And you know what? I could do it. He's no, I could do what he did. And that's what that tells them. Rather than, oh, okay, well, you know, no, it's not okay, well. This is a picture of sobriety. No words necessary. This is what it is, okay? This is clean eating. This is a healthy lifestyle. This is what I am now, okay? And this is what, you know, and that's why I do it, you know? Um, so, you know, I'm just, you know, I, I just want to, you know, uh, say a prayer. And, you know, my heart and prayers go out to all of those affected with this corona pandemic and all the people, you know, I mean, it's just like it has to end like today, you know? We lost so many people. I thought it was like over. You ever try? You ever? Have you ever tried to reach out to that family, or you just try to stay away and give them their peace? I mean, well, like, what, what's, what? I what's been your strategy with them? I wasn't allowed to reach out to them because I was on parole. But I could reach out to them now. Um, <clears throat> I might do so, but then again, I don't know. You don't know See, how they're the gonna sister, react. The sister's so funny, though. You know, she plays like she's like this Catholic good woman, right? And it's like. The only reason why you, like, I understand you lost your brothers. I really do. But I know you've it's seen. It's devastating. It's devastating. I understand. But you've seen, and you know, number one, I didn't shoot him. And number two, you've seen all the positive things since I came home. Right? So you could say maybe my brother's death didn't go, maybe his life didn't go to a total waste. Maybe this kid threw my brother. My brother is his angel. And my brother died for him to do this for other people. So maybe if she looked at it that way, but the cops get in her head. Now, you need to keep going at this guy. She should have her own brain and say, you know what? I am a Catholic. And this, see this right here? Look, I am a Catholic. See this? You know what that symbolizes? Jesus Christ on the cross. You know why he died on the cross? For forgiveness of sins. That's the very foundation of Roman Catholic Catholicism. Roman Catholicism, right? She's Catholic. And she talks about it. And she's a devout Catholic. But are you really? When you see a guy came home six years, he's been nothing but apologetic, nothing but respectful, has done nothing but try to help other people, and you're still mad at him? Ugh, and you're not willing to forgive him? Well, then, hey, you know what? Maybe you're not a real Catholic. Mary Jo Bonifuco, she forgave Amy Fisher, and Amy Fisher shot her right in the face. And she went to the parole and forgave the girl because she's a good woman. And she realizes that people do change and that people do deserve a second chance and not deserve to be just thrown away because and of one bad decision. I mean, brother, you were not the one holding that gun, man. Right, but, but, but because of the whole... I know, but that's why... Listen to me. I was trying to say that the reason why I had you on, I said it was touchy for me. I have family in law enforcement in New York, in Yonkers, on the Port Authority. I got a lot of family that's cops. And they're like a gang, bro. They're a family. They stick together. Right or wrong, they're going to back each other up. That's just the way they are. But I agree with you that... You know, the way you explain it, the way you see it, you know, you were an addict. You weren't the one that pulled that trigger. If you can turn even three or four Sorry, addicts. Up, podcast. We're, we're almost done. Even no, if no. you turn, 
if you turned around three or four lives, you probably saved 30, 40, 50 lives, bro. Because it's not just the addict that goes down, it's their family that goes down with them. It's everybody around them. It's everybody around them, bro. So, you know, like... I think your, your story is so compelling to young people. It needs to be told, brother. You need to do a book. I mean, there's a lot of shit you got to do, bro. No, I know, brother. Because know, it's brother. very important, brother. The whole reason, this whole thing, like you said, I believe in divine wisdom. Your life, if you use it for the right reasons, which you are, can save so many people's lives, bro. I know that. And I, I don't understand how people, and I, I'm not going to ever get discouraged and stop doing it because I'm doing it because it's in my heart. So these people that still have a problem with me while I'm doing this, they can I mean, fuck listen, themselves. I've lost I'm, close I'm, family. You know this, I've lost close family. They listen. You can't blame I've them. I've been a nice guy for five years. I've been a nice guy for five years. I never said none disrespectful, but it's like, dude, five, six years later, I'm still on the straight and narrow. People, I'm still helping people. And you still want to talk about me, man? You know what? I think now it's a problem with you. It's not a problem with me. There's something wrong in here with you. Is why you keep doing that. Because if someone, say if, if I look at the situation, there was a guy and then my brother in a situation and did exactly what that was going on. And no, 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 not my brother. Say my brother got killed by this two guys like me and that guy. Okay. Okay. Obviously, it's a horrible fucking thing. Initially, I would want to fucking kill both of them, you know? But then as time went on and, you know, and I'm the, the other guy, I'm not even going to mention him. Not because he's the, no, he's, I just don't want to get him involved. This is, you know what I mean? I don't want to yeah, bad mouth him, whatever. But I'm talking about as far as me. As far as me, I would have looked at me and said, you know what? He's not the one that shot him. He's using his life. He's actually showing. My brother shot him. him. I mean, their brother shot you. I mean, shit. Right. And he didn't have a gun. Um, and he's never went off track. He's still doing well, and he's helping Man, others. And you say, I am guilty for that death. You admit that. that that's the only right. reason why I have you on my show. The fact that you would not say, listen, and no matter what, you know, you're not trying to do what you feel the media has done to you, where they've spun the story in a certain way. You're saying no. Even though I wasn't the one that pulled that trigger. They can spin it to the, in their mother's ass. Yeah. They're full of shit, bro. Why I respect you. I have people in court every day. Yeah, why I respect you. And why you're on my show is because I believe that you are truly remorseful for everything that happened. You were an addict, which is horrible. And I've seen what happens to addicts. I believe that you are trying to use what happened to you to save other people's lives. And I believe you are trying to make a true comeback, not only uh, business-wise. No, you are trying to be as, as, a, as a positive force towards society. And I think there's one thing that you should remember too. And I hope that you will remember this between me and you and everyone that's watching this. Remember that you're going to have these ups and downs and you know that, but eventually the truth will be, the truth will be seen brother by your actions. That that's all you got to remember. When people, you know what? All right. No problem. You keep going out there. You keep being a guardian angel for other people because you know what, brother, I've lost family. I've lost friends to addiction fucking devastating my heart goes out to that family because to lose a brother always tragic oh, my heart prays always go no, out to that family no no I pray from every morning so I can we can understand how you can become extremely bitter and we can't blame we can't even blame you can't 
it's just it's it's hard i mean i hope that they will be able to forgive you because i've always believed that no matter you know if you can forgive others then you know if we can't forgive others then why should god forgive us on judgment day right you're exactly right now we're not god god is perfect and he's amazing he's beautiful and he's beyond our comprehension but i've always said like i wonder what the fuck i would do would i be eye for eye which are many albanians are Italians are the, the same way, but you know what? What the fuck would I do in that, in that moment? But again, we gotta I do know from, from my code, I wouldn't, my beef wouldn't be with you as much. That, that's the way I look at the world. I'm not here to debate that. That's not, I don't want to, the family deserves, like, I don't want to get into that bullshit. But I know where I stand. I, would, I wouldn't, I'd be mad at you, but I wouldn't be as mad as I would at the other guy. And I know you're not blaming him. You take full responsibility. To me, that's, to me, that's why you still have my respect. Yeah, for how my actions in drug addiction, you know, uh, made a contribution in, uh, you know, <laughs> a heroic police officer's death. I, listen, I bought the guy there. I drove the car. I didn't have a gun on me. <clears throat> my lawyer said it best. There were three people there that night. Two of them had guns. Hilo Broncado was not one of those people. That's it. When you have a gun in a situation like that, that means you got the same intention. You just shot him first, or I would have shot him too. Or else, why am I carrying this gun? You understand? So, but listen, bro, I got to go. Listen to me. I think we'll definitely have you again on the future. And clearly, we have a nice chemistry when we talk. I want the world to know that you're not done in this life. We're expecting some big things from you. And uh, you are proof that you, that you never give up and that you can always make a comeback. The next time oh, I have now. you on... God willing, I want to get. Well, I feel I'm better now than I was back then. Even though I was young and in my prime, I feel that I am better now. And you I also knew my cousin. Me. And you also knew my cousin. Jimmy I have Bavari. to tell myself that, huh? Jimmy Baberry, James Baberry. Oh, Jimmy, I love Jimmy. Bro, you know Jimmy Baberry. Jimmy Baberry did background on the Bronx Tale. He used to drive us home. He used to have a Regal. He used to have a Buick Regal, and he used to have me in there. Eddie Mush. He used to have. You know how many people he? He was the best. We. We go to every borough. He's dropping somebody off over here. And then another. Jimmy was the, the nicest best. guy in the world, bro. Never say no to nobody. Was dropping a guy from Staten Island. Then we're going to Brooklyn. Then we got to drop Mush off in the Bronx. And then he's got to drop me to Yonkers. What? That was like all over the world. But you got let, let me tell you though. We used to laugh in that car like no other. I'm talking about laughs like when I thought I did a thousand sit-ups. My stomach will hurt the next day. I'll be sore. But brother, I got, I'll talk to you next time. All right. Hey brother, just remember one thing, tell our viewers one thing, no matter what happens in life, you can always make a comeback. Come back and there's always redemption and everyone, everyone deserves a second chance. Third chance, I don't know, but the second one, definitely. You heard it here folks, Lilo Brancanto Jr., AOC. We'll see you soon, God willing, brother. Take care of yourself. You too, brother. Take care. God bless. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, bro. Oh, 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 oh,